everybody. We're back again. This is probably the quickest turnaround we've ever had on this show because I can't seem to get my stuff together in time to do more than one podcast a month. But um, I am actually going to be leaving the country at the end of October, and uh, I'm going to not be here. And I really wanted to celebrate Halloween and talk about small screen um, terrors. And we've been doing that the last couple years we've been podcasting. I think the first year we did the Midnight Hour and just played some, like, uh, TV spots for different types of horror movies. I think we did Prom Night TV spot and maybe a Halloween TV spot along with some TV movies. And last year we did, of course, Paul Lynn's Halloween special, which was amazing. And the Halloween that almost wasn't, which was also really good. Um, That was an interesting episode because I remember we had a time delay. And Nate and Dan were on sync but I was like seven seconds off. So the editing of that was really horrible. I think tonight we're doing good. Um, And we decided to turn everything over to the listeners. And we asked people to come up with lists of three to five titles of TV movies or things made for television, because we have a couple of things in there that kind of veer off that, um, that they would like to watch on Halloween night if they could program their own small screen marathon. We got a lot of really good feedback, so I'm super excited about this. And we're also uh, going to talk about some movies we would choose for Halloween night as well. So I just want to get started because I want to make sure Nate's here for the whole thing. And let me start by saying, uh, good evening, Nate. How's it going? I'm doing very well. How are you doing this evening? I'm super cool. I love talking about TV movies, and we're going to talk about like 50,000 of them. So Oh, I know. There's a plethora out there. There is, and it's so exciting when we can sort of cram in a bunch of titles at once. And I know a lot of people listen to this podcast uh, actually don't know that much about TV movies and um, seek some of them out. Some people just listen because they're friendly um, <laughs> and they're, they're friends of ours or whatever and they listen. But some people actually listen and they make notations about movies. So we've got some really interesting titles in here. So I'm so excited. Um, so let me just go ahead and introduce Dan. Hey, Dan, what's up? Happy Halloween. Are you scared? I'm a little scared. I get scared when we do these things because I actually get scared because we each picked out three movies and we didn't tell each other what the movies were. Oh, so I'm scared that you guys are going to take my movies and I'm going to have to scramble to come up with new ones on the fly. Uh, you know but, what? No. It's fine. Uh-oh. If, if, oh, we all, okay. if we end up picking the same title, that didn't even occur to me because we did this so back-to-back with our last episode. By the way, I just mm-hmm. want to say we've already gotten some really amazing feedback about our after-school special, which went out last Sunday. I think this episode is going to go out around the 20th, so there's still a few days. Uh, I'm going to put it up right before I leave the country, but um, um, we're recording this a couple weeks after we recorded the last episode, and it took me a little while to get the last episode up because there was a lot of edits, and um, and also I had a companion interview with Lance Guest, and so it just went up like three days ago, and we've already gotten like random people I've never have contacted me before to tell me how much they enjoyed it, and how much they've enjoyed uh, Lance Guest's interview in particular because there's not a lot of documentation about the after mm-hmm. after school special, and he was able to sort of give context to it and talk about working on it, and um, one person actually said that she wants to seek out more of his work now because she always thought oh. he was a really good actor, but she loved the interview so much that she felt like she wants to go back and like discover some of his stuff. So um, we win. We win. Yay. That's awesome. yeah. I will say that if we do happen to pick uh, the same movies, I actually have some alternates. I usually come with alternates because, you know, on Hysteria Continues, we do the we used to do the top threes all the time. Right. Oh, so yeah. I would always have alternates just in case one of the others had chosen something I was going to pick. So I think it was just force of habit for me. I'm re-listening to your um, Cheerleader Camp episode where you guys did the top three annoying characters. 
and oh, I'm still yes. laughing at some of the some of the clips that I know Joe said he had to, he did your clips and he said that he picked the shortest clips possible for both his and your choices because he couldn't stand listening to some of them. <laughs> and it was some really good stuff in there. I think he Joe picked um, uh, the girl that played Laurie Strode in the Halloween Two remake. And, oh, and he played that gosh. clip of her in the hospital where she wanted some kind of medication or prescription and Margot. Oh Kidder's yeah. <laughs> it was just hilarious. Anyway, so I've been laughing on um, the bus and it's been a really, really good time. <laughs> um, I love your top threes and I hope they come back. Um, mm. So anyway, I'm going to go ahead and get started with, we're going to, so what we're going to do is we're, I was going to try to mix it up and like see if people pick the same titles and then put them together, but I didn't really have time to do that. So I'm just going to read the feedback um, but we're going to break up our top three. So we're going to start with three, then we'll read a few listener picks and then we'll do our twos and our ones. And by the way, I'm doing mine in no real order and I didn't pick anything that I originally chose for my top three favorite TV movies, which we did in our very first episode because I've already talked about them a little. And, um, so that means this house possessed, even though I do watch it every year is not going to be on my list just so I can mix it up a little. Um, and I try to make it slightly unpredictable and I picked uh, hopefully some titles. I think they're all titles we've probably discussed before. There's probably no, nothing surprising there. But um, Dan, why don't you start us off and tell us what would be okay. the third title you would choose for your marathon. Now, uh, the, these are in chronological as airing order. Okay. And so I, I think they are. Wait a minute. No, no, I'm sorry. They're in backwards order. Okay. Yes. They're, they're in backwards order. Um, and my rule was nothing in the top three we did in the first episode. And I didn't pick anything that we talked about as a major movie in okay. any of the previous ones. So the first one I'm doing, uh, we are in uh, December 11th, 1973, directed by Curtis Harrington, teleplay Robert Block, starring Meredith Baxter, David Hedison, Gail Sondergaard, John Carradine, Stuart Whitman. It is The Cat Creature. Great film, great film. And what I'm going to do, I don't want to. If you haven't seen it, I don't. I don't really want to spoil it. I'm just going to yeah. read you the Mer- the Merrill paragraph Perfect. real quick. Yeah, we're just going to do two, three sentences. I think. In this chiller, a Valentine to the fondly remembered horror B movie, the theft of an amulet from the mummy of an Egyptian priestess sets off a reign of terror that involves an archaeology professor, a mysterious shopkeeper, a pretty salesgirl, and an Oriental thief. Ooh, it's a lot of fun. You know what's yeah. so neat about that movie is that it's got a sense of sexual fluidity in it. There's a scene where, I haven't seen this movie in a couple of years, but there's a scene where somebody is at that shop. I think Mary mm-hmm. Baxter works there. And yes. from behind, it looks like a man in a suit. Is that right? And they turn yeah. around and it's a woman or vice versa. Yes. I can't yeah. remember. Mm-hmm. And, and there's like this weird, interesting sort of like monosex vibe to the film that's really yeah. interesting and kind of subversive for the time period. And that's what I kind of remember most about the movie, except for the fact that I thought um, Meredith Baxter was absolutely beguiling in it. She is. Yeah, she is. And there's a lot of great, uh, you know, sort of cats being dropped onto people and <laughs> people struggling with uh, cats and things. Cats are always tricky. Cats are always tricky. So they are. Um, they, they win the internet, but yeah, though. Yes, they do. <laughs> they do. Um, so yeah, that's that's my first one. I think um, uh, I'd start off with that one because it has some nice scares and some chills, but it, it also has a sense of um, a, there's a slight absurdity to some of it, mm. uh, which is which is fun. It's it's having fun. So that that's my my number three. Now, Nate, have you seen the cat creature? I actually have not seen the cat creature, but it sounds amazing. 
It's it's really good. I think you would like it, and I think that's one we'll pick at some point. We're, we should do a, like a Meredith Baxter double, and we should pick one of her yeah. like '90s films, and then mm-hmm. maybe something like The Cat Creature, just to show like the variety of things she did over the years. I agree. Yeah, yeah. she's great. Yeah, oh, cool. she's wonderful. That's a really good pick. I you know I didn't even think of that one, and I'm sad I didn't because it's so good. Huh? Um, I picked a movie that we actually talked about in the last episode uh, slightly. And it's going to come up on this list, but uh, I am fully obsessed with Midnight Offerings right now. Um, I've watched it several times over the last year, mostly because I've been talking about it at the places that I've gone to do, like panels and lectures. And I'm actually going to be talking about it in my paper that I'm presenting. It's the movie that keeps on giving. The more I watch it, the more I love it. It's very teen angsty. Um, Melissa Sue Anderson is the perfect evil witch in it. Um, It's what I call bitch perfect. Um, the performance. Uh, she's scary. She's tiny. She's super tiny, and she's like the scariest thing I've ever seen. Um, and it's really fun. I think it captures all of the right notes in terms of just sort of popcorny horror. And um, and it's kind of got a. I don't want to say film it because that kind of demeans other TV movies. It's got kind of a larger scale look to it than than other films. Um, and I really, 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 really just love it. And it's something that I c- you could put on right now. And I would watch. And you could I say, hey, man, do you want to watch it again tomorrow? And I'd say, yes. And you say, what are you doing on Saturday? You want to watch Midnight Offerings? Sure. <laughs> Let's watch it. Um, now, Nate, I, did you see Midnight Offerings? Yes. And I loved Midnight Offerings. It's so good. It's so good. What do you think of Melissa Sue Anderson in it? Uh, I loved it. And I think that I would have been more shocked uh, because, I mean, I- I've watched Little House on the Prairie, you know, growing up. But I had seen Happy Birthday to me before I saw Midnight Offerings. But I feel like if I hadn't seen Happy Birthday to me first, I would have been really surprised by, I don't know, seeing her in, you know, like a horror, you know, like genre film. Because mm-hmm. Mary was very, I don't know, sweet, innocent, all that stuff. Yeah, according to uh, Nellie uh, from the show, she was kind of a bitch on wheels when they were making Little House on the Prairie. So, oh, wow. so she was just Why channeling did- what was already inside her. Michael Landon didn't keep her in line? No, I, you know, I don't know how true that is because I've been on her Facebook and she seems absolutely pleasant. Maybe she was just a difficult child, but um, mm. I don't really know. And who knows what Nellie was like? I mean, come on. That's true. That's Didn't she true. call herself like the bitch on the prairie on her one-woman show, which is fabulous. I saw it. <laughs> it was a really good show. But yeah, that's a really fun movie and uh, super popular. And, you know, we had Jeff Nelson on here. Um, and of course, I'm not going to give any, I haven't even said what the movie's about. It's about these two witches that square off. But what's so great about it is they're like high school witches and they're kind of fighting for turf. And what's so great about it is it's got Mary McDonough from The Waltons going up against Melissa Sue Anderson from Little House on the Prairie. And that's like the most brilliant casting ever. And they're also fighting over Patrick Cassidy, who's like this really hot Cassidy that nobody ever talks about. Um, <laughs> and it's really, really fun. Dan, have you seen Midnight Offerings? I can't remember. I haven't, but I should have. What? It's it's Stephen J. Cannell, Juanita Bartlett wrote yes. the teleplay. Wow, yeah, she's fantastic. I huh. think I think because a woman wrote it, it, it taps into a lot of teen angsty things in a much more organic way than some other stuff that eh. uh, is in the same genre. Um, so I mean, that's what that's not why I would pick it, but that's why I think it it works for me over and over again because I see myself in it all the time in, in both girls. To be honest with you, so it's kind of this neat kind of multi layered film. Uh, we're gonna cover it. It's one of the most popular, most requested things, I think, out there right now. Um, So, Nate, what is your number three? My number three is Satan's School for Girls. Oh, so good. From 1973. (laughs) Um, Not the 2000 remake. I mean, I I haven't seen the 2000 remake, so I can't tell you if it's good or not. But, I mean, I do know I really, really enjoy the 1973 version. I mean, 
it's it's only like 78 minutes long so i mean it's a breeze to watch it's to me it's never boring uh, i never found it boring at all it's available on amazon prime right now which i'm very excited about because i'm totally going to watch it this month for uh halloween so it really will be in my wish list for this halloween um i mean your basic plot line i mean i mean it's pretty much like the title saying you know it's uh, a woman investigating her sister's suicide you know she basically finds herself battling a satanic cult and the 70s were always big for like satanic uh movies like you know like uh, cults and you know all that kind of stuff uh one of my particular favorites is satan's cheerleaders but that's me digressing um but no i mean satan's school for girls it's got a fantastic cast you got like pamela franklin kate jackson i mean that was just awesome uh you know cheryl ladd's in it yep i know yep so, I mean, I, it, it's totally one that would be on my list, I think, to watch for Halloween because I think it's a great movie. It's a lot of fun. And to me, it's one of those quintessential 70s devil flicks. Yeah, absolutely. I will tell you, I really liked the 2000 remake um, with Shannon Doherty because it's totally different. But if you like Charmed, it's basically just kind of Charmed, but like... With, oh, okay. with Aaron Spelling kind of remaking the film. I, it's hard to explain. They're different, and they're the same, I guess. But um, I think it's really fun. I don't think it's better than the 73 version, but I think it's I think it's a good movie. I've seen it a couple times. Now that I've re- watched the Initiation of Sarah remake several times, I think that one's better. But Yes. Um, yeah, it's smarter, for sure. But, oh, my God. I love that movie okay. so much. And I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just had to say that there's a scene in the remake of the Initiation of Sarah when... Um, kind of the, the bitchy girls are outside and Jennifer Tilly uh, walks by and she says something like, oh yeah, it's trash day. I got to remember to take some you know cans out to the curb or something. <laughs> it's just such a shady thing to say <laughs> that's right, in you know, front of them. That's, so that's another one of the movies that's going to be in my paper. And just to be a little spoilery, um, I think that movie reclaims um, female agency in that film. And what I think is so interesting, and we're getting totally off the topic, so I'll make it really quick. What's really so interesting about the remake is well no it'll be too spoiler i don't want to give it away because there are twists in it um yeah it's really good but uh anyway the the original saints go for girls is probably one of the not one of the first tv movies i saw because i don't remember seeing it growing up but it was one of the first tv movies i saw when i got back into tv movies because it's so readily available probably because it has two angels in it um before they were angels so it's kind of a curio as well and it was probably it wasn't my introduction to roy thinnis but it was definitely my reintroduction to him because I knew him from One Life to Live. And this was my first time really seeing him in a film that I can remember. Um, and also Lloyd Bachner's in it. But uh, it's like got like the hot dudes and it's got like the mystery and it's got like um, it's got a real gothic feel to it. Like Pam, there's a scene with Pamela Franklin. I think she's just out at night. She hears a sound or something. And she's walking across the courtyard in just the nightgown, and it's windy. You know what I mean? It's got this real classically mm-hmm. creepy feel to it. And it's got that really beautiful painting that that really off the center girl did of her sister. Do you remember that? She finds it in, like, the attic. And it's like mm-hmm. it's like she's all broken up. And it's got all these really nice elements in it. So I think it's, it's kind of campy in a way. But... Um, it's also like really solidly entertaining and it has a lot of really nice moments that I think it overlooked um, by people because it does have this kind of kitsch factor of the angels being in it and things like that. Um, that's my opinion. Dan, have you seen Saints Go for Girls? I can't remember if you've ever talked about it. I, I, 
I, I have. Uh, I, I remember renting the VHS, but it was over 20 years ago. I, I believe I enjoyed it. I have. To, I, that was one of those titles where every time I want to watch it again, I think we're probably going to cover that soon. So I'd like to yeah. save that one for when we do. But I remember enjoying it. I think I may have rented it the same day uh, from Video King in Ithaca, the same day I rented um, Saints Cheerleaders. Ooh, so that's good devil. I think yeah, it may have been just a super double feature evening there. So Yeah, that's really fun. And you're right, Nate, the occult and um, devil worshipping was huge in the 70s. And like, you know, we talked about Crowhaven Farm and we kind of went into that. Mm-hmm. So they were just capitalizing on what was already there. And I think Satan School for Girls does it in a really fun, light, frothy, yet classically eerie way. That's what's so good about it. I agree. <laughs> I'm glad you do. <laughs> okay. I 100% agree with that. So um, I'm going to go ahead and just start reading some of the feedback. Um, some Yay. people just sent very short lists. Some people sent big things. Um, we're probably not going to be able to talk about every title. So I guess what I'll do is I'll read the feedback. And if anybody wants to chime in about a title that was mentioned, um, do it. If not, I'll just pick one or two from their list and we can sort of talk about them. Um, so the first uh, piece of feedback we got is from someone named Ben Sperling. I think this might be the first time I've heard from Ben. So hi, Ben. Um, here we go. Okay, I'm going a little obscure on some of these titles, not because I'm trying to be flashy, but because I figure others will be naming the well-remembered classics like Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, Gargoyles, Trilogy of Terror, and the like, all of which deserve a spot without question. I thought in case you wanted to shake things up just a tad, I'd send along titles that were well worth watching but may be overshadowed by the big names. So, And he has, this list is amazing. And so here we go. Um, a Little Game, ABC 1971. A Fine Little Entry in the Evil Kids subgenre. Um, number two is Photograph from BBC 1977, a thoughtful and creepy John Bowen teleplay. Number three is The Dead Don't Die, NBC 1975. Oh. Okay, we'll talk about that one, Dan. Macabre yeah. Atmospherics from Curtis Harrington, a fun script from Robert Block, and the stunning presence of Reggie Nalder. Number four is Vampire. Uh, yay, ABC 1979. Mm. Next to Salem's Lot, one of the best standalone made-for-TV vampire movies. Agreed. Great performances by Richard Lynch, Jason Miller, and E.G. Marshall with a surprisingly fresh take on the traditional vampire story written by uh, Michael Kozal and Stephen Bochco, of all people. That's right. Mm. Uh, number five is Dead of Night, A Darkness That Blazed mm. On. Yay, I'm glad he picked that. ABC 1969. Although heavily dated due to the uh, mod clothes and apartment furnishings, which I actually find charming, once the paranormal investigation gets underway in the eerie mansion, the classic Goosebumps chills really kick in, and they're Stayer David. What else do you need? Um, <laughs> I want to talk about every single one of these, but I know we can't. So I know, Dan, you seemed excited about The Dead Don't Die. I haven't seen it, so tell us. Oh, I actually, well, The Dead Don't Die was on my short list for possibly being on my top mm. three. It's sort of, there's, um, now, I, again, like with Satan's School for Girls, I haven't seen it in ages, but I believe it's set in the 30s, and it's mm. sort of a supernaturally thing with the sailor. And Reggie Nadler is Nalder. in it also. Nalder, right. sorry. I think. Um, and um, and uh, I remember it being, uh, it, it was one of those that came out and that had a VHS release. And I remember watching it and enjoying quite a, it quite a bit. And it almost, yeah, it, it, was, it would probably have been number five or six on my list. And I, I wasn't able to watch it, rewatch wow. it, though. I didn't have time. But I, I, I was, when I was flipping through Merrill the other day, I saw it and, and put a little note by it. That uh, got to rewatch that one. Yes, somebody yeah. mentioned it online the other day too, so it's kind of been popping up. So that's one that I have the VHS of because it did get a VHS release, but I have mm. never watched it. And I think I was mixing it up with another movie, and now I can't, I can't remember what it was. But I feel like it starred Ed Nelson, which makes a really good segue because oh. the movie. There's I want to talk about every single one of these because um, 
Oh, of course, I haven't seen Photograph, but I've seen a lot of these, and I think they're all excellent. But he mentioned a little game, and <laughs> I'm not going to go too deep into it, but um, it's a Christmas-themed movie, and I wrote about it for Yuletide Terror. I did a capsule review of it, and I think we might do it for Christmas because oh, cool. it's really good, and I feel like it's really obscure. Um, and I, so I don't want to say too much about it except to say I'm going to go back to my teen years and just say it, it's wicked cool. It's wicked good. <laughs> oh, it's, that's bitching. It is. It's hella good, guys. I really like it. I just kind of uh, discovered it in the last couple years, and it blew me away. I watched it on the elliptical, as I do, and I had a really, <laughs> really great time with it, and it stuck with me. And it's got Diane Baker and Ed Nelson, and it's got a little boy in it who would go on to be in Jaws 2 as one of the teenage Brody's kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the older <laughs> kid, because he's the teenage boy. Um and he's so amazing in it. Um, it's just wonderful. Uh, Nate, have you seen a little game? Uh, no, but I'm going to <laughs> because it sounds awesome. And I'm a big fan of you know like the evil kid movies, like The Bad Seed, and yeah. I like uh, Devil Times Five. Um, I like a lot of the killer kid movies. So I mean, I'm excited that there's one I haven't seen yet. Yeah, it's it kind of flew under the radar. I'd heard about it a lot over the years, and there's a TV guide ad that's been floating around online, and so I've seen, and it's not a very great TV guide ad, which why I, I probably put it off. I was like, oh, whatever. But then I just kind of, I don't remember why I watched it, but I decided to check it out, and then I saw that it takes place around Christmas, and so it's been in the back of my mind as a Christmas choice. So it, if it doesn't end up on a Christmas choice, I definitely want to cover it next year, because I think we'll both, uh, we'll all really like it. Um, and so many of these the titles are excellent. So Photograph, we have to mark, because I've never heard of it. Have you guys ever heard of it? No. Yeah. No. Okay, BBC. We should do some British stuff, too. This is giving me so many ideas. It's so exciting. Um, <laughs> Vampire, of course, with Richard Lynch is amazing. Yes. And that yeah, ran yeah. during the Halloween season. Um, just recently, I because I'm doing 31 days of Halloween TV movies on my social media, and it aired, like, f- however many years ago on, like, October 9th. So I, I just recently wrote about it. Um, Dead of Night, Darkness at Blazed On is really good. So, um, so if I'm correct... They took the sets from Dark Shadows and repurposed them for this movie. And it shot on video, and it was a pilot. And I feel like the woman that stars in it is on Days of Our Lives, and I'm totally forgetting her name. I re- Marge Doucet is the lead. Oh, wow. Film. Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, and that might be one, because I've been thinking about doing Wide World Mystery, so it might be kind of fun as like maybe an extra credit assignment or something. It's available on DVD. Dark Sky released mm-hmm. it with um, um, Dead of Night. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, anyway, Ben, thank you. That was an amazing yes, list. Yes, thank you, Ben. Yeah, that, I would easily watch all of those in one swoop uh, with you. Um, our good friend Tristan Lofting uh, wrote to us again. Hi, Tristan. I always love when he says Hey, that. Tristan. He made this pretty short, but I, he picked some really good ones here. So, he wrote, Hi, Amanda, Dan, and Nathan. Here's my list. Includes cartoons, too. Uh, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. I know this will be on everyone's list. The Legend mm. of Sleepy Hollow, 1980, with Jeff Goldblum. Oh, Dead that I just, I just watched that this past weekend. Do you know I have never seen that? So we'll talk about that. It's one. fun. It's fun. Yeah. All right. Maybe I have seen it, but not since I was ten or something. But anyway, The mm. Devil and Daniel Mouse from 1978, animated short by Nelvana. The Worst Witch, which I remember very well, 1986 with Tim Curry and Fruza Balk. Uh, and Halloween is Grinch Night, 1977. And then he added, so the idea is to watch The Lighter Fair first, then end the evening with Scarecrow. Thanks, Tristan. Oh, thank you, Tristan. This is a really Thanks. fun list. Um, yeah. Since I'm not that familiar with The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, Dan, why don't you tell us what you thought of it since you just watched it? 
Well, I I I, uh, I I used to watch it. Uh, I remember watching it several times when I was a kid, and uh, rewatching it now. I I think Jeff Go- Jeff Goldblum is a great Ichabod Crane, mm-hmm. and I think it's really nice. I, I I thought maybe it was a little too long, but I I think it it it's really it really sort of captures the essence of of the story, and it it gets rather thrilling. I I would say near the end of it, and uh, I I recommend it. You can. You can you can watch it and yell and scream and have a good time. I don't want to. I mean, it's it's the legend of Sleepy Hollow. It's a it's a very good production of it. I think yeah, so. I, I believe I, it also came out for Christmas, not Christmas for uh, Halloween. I think it's one of the, it aired during the month mm-hmm. of October. Mm-hmm. Nate, I believe. You, oh, sorry. Oh no, that was it. Uh, Nate, have you seen it? No, I haven't. I hope you're writing all these down, Nate. I'm actually muting and tapping on my word <laughs> on my computer. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, that's a really good list, too. I really like the cartoons. Um, now, he mentioned... I have to flip this page over again. Sorry. Uh, I remember watching The Worst Witch when it originally aired. Um, and, of course, Tim Curry's in it, so that that's must-see. The Devil and Daniel Mouse has been coming up. I've been seeing mm-hmm. it, for some reason, like on people's social medias. But I don't think I've seen it. Mm. So It uh, sounds familiar, but I, yeah. I... Well, it's The Devil and Daniel Webster, right? So Sure, sure, yeah. But it looks really good. Um, that's a definitely a good list, too. We also heard from someone named Dick Vincent. I believe this is his first time contacting the show. Hey, Dick. He wrote, hey. Hello. Really enjoy your podcast and have been delving into your book and now trying to track down lots of new discoveries. That's really awesome. Thank you so much. Dick. Yeah. My TV horror list for Halloween viewing would be, in no particular order, Don't Go to Sleep, 1981, Downbeat and very nihilistic for TV with a creepy and disturbing vibe. The violence still packs some punch. Home for the Holidays, 1972. It's like this guy sitting inside Nate's head, by the way. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> looks, looks ahead a bit to the 80s big screen slasher boom. Very suspenseful and with an excellent cast, including Sally Field, Julie Harris, Eleanor Park- Parker, and the scenery-devouring Jessica Walter. Um, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, 1973. Scared the crap out of me as a kid and still to this day manages to make you want to turn on all the lights in the house at night. Satan School for Girls, 1973. Ah. You can't go wrong with mixing Satan with an all-girls school. With one of my favorite actresses, Pamela Franklin, from The Innocence and Legend of Hell House. And a pre-Charlie's Angel, Cheryl Ladd and Kate Jackson. Plus, for added points, you get Joanne Fleet and the creepy and batshit crazy head... As the creepy and batshit crazy headmistress. And plus, Roy Thinnis. Um, and then The Night Stalker, 1972, What More Can You Say? Also runners-up uh, uh, for Crowhaven Farm and the excellent western theme Black Noon with Roy Thinnis again, oh. Ray Milan, and the wonderful Gloria Graham. Um, oh, my gosh. These are all so good. They're Let's all, see. Yeah. yeah. We talked about Saints Go for Girls. Let's talk a little bit about Don't Go to Sleep. Oh, let's. Yes, let's, because that's one we've talked about, Nate and I, on <laughs> The Steering Continues, but we haven't talked about so much on this a show, and I, I'm pretty sure we've all seen it. You've seen it, right, Dan? I, I actually saw it when it came out. My sister and I watched mm. it, and I'll be honest, I haven't seen it since then because it's it's one of those movies, again, that I know we're going to talk about, so I was kind of okay. holding back on it. Well, we'll be but I know you guys... Free. <laughs> um, it's so good, and it's one of those movies, the more I watch it, the more I appreciate it. So one of the things I talked about on this Dairy Continues was that I tried to do like an academic lens on it. So I talked about how I sort of compared, it's got the little boy in it from Poltergeist, and that movie came out the same year, and where Poltergeist does have family drama in it, it seems to be more about the spectacle of the haunting, whereas Don't Go to Sleep is more about the personal. So it's going from like public to private, which is what film and TV kind of does sometimes, not all the time, but a lot of times. 
And so it's kind of taking the public spectacle of the haunting that's really big and then it's boiling it down sort of to its essence and then it's going into the emotional aspects of it, of like losing a child. And so it becomes more about the process of grief then it necessarily becomes about the haunting, which could be a metaphor or could be a literal haunting. And that's what's so fascinating about it. And also, it's I think one thing Justin said about it was that he felt, he felt the film was really raw in the dialogue. And there's a scene with Valerie Harper and Dennis Weaver. I don't like the music that they're playing during the scene, but they're just kind of sort of blaming each other and themselves for the death of their daughter. And it's like something you would probably never see on the big screen because it's, it's really emotional and it's small and it's it's like kind of realistic in a lot of ways um and so it resonates really well because i think people can relate to it on a number of different levels um that's how i feel about the movie nate what are your thoughts on it uh, i think it's phenomenal the very first time i watched it was with uh my friend grant grant who i talk about on uh hooray Stary continues but um we were just blown away by it and and he's not really um Cover your ears, Amanda. He's not really a huge made-for-TV fan. But when he watched that, he said, if you can find some more like that one, he's like, "Um, you know, I'll definitely watch them because he just thought it was phenomenal. And I'm not going to spoil anything, but, like, our jaws just dropped at the ending. Yeah. And anybody that's seen it will know what we're talking about. I I think I told the story the first time I saw it. I saw it uh, after a earthquake. So I was at Big Bear with my husband, my then boyfriend, and it was Valentine's Day weekend, and it was our first trip out of town together, and I bought him my bloody Valentine and don't go to sleep, (laughs) and um, (laughs) because we're so romantic, right? And so anyway, we got there, and there was a huge earthquake. So it wasn't that big of an earthquake, except we were at the epicenter. It was Big Bear. And... um, and so, the, you know, there's all those little reverberations, aftershocks afterwards. So there were aftershocks throughout the whole next day. And you could feel them because you're at the epicenter. So we watched My Bloody Valentine and then we watched Don't Go to Sleep. And I'm not sure I'd really seen it before. And um, and right when it gets to that last shot, that really scary gut punch ending, there was yes. an aftershock. And wow. I jumped out <laughs> of the bed. That's great timing. Yes, I jumped out of the bed like 10 feet. And I went, <gasps> And ever since then, that's, like, trained me to have that reaction every time I see the movie. That's the reaction I have, even though I know it's coming. It's so well done. But, um, yeah, it was perfect timing to scare the hell out of me. Like, to literally scare the hell out of me. Um, and uh, he remembered it from a, uh, his childhood. And we um, we actually kind of met because we had a mutual friend. And he asked her if I could help him find the name of a TV movie. And he sent me the description of it. And I found it was Don't Go to Sleep. Mm. And then the rest is history. May I say two things? Yes. One, Big Bear, that's where they made Devil Times 5. We'll see. Which is awesome. Um, and uh, second, when I, although I have not watched the movie in a very long time, when my sister found out that I was doing this podcast like two odd years ago, I, I was talking to her on the phone and she said, oh, made for TV movies. Okay. Do you remember that one that, what was, what was that called? And it was Don't Go to Sleep. She was talking about Don't Go to Sleep. You, that one we saw with, uh, well, she didn't say Dennis Weaver, you know, but she was like, and I, I was like, I think that's Don't Go to Sleep you're talking about. And she's like, yeah. With, oh, yeah. And it was, she still remembers it. And I think she wants us to talk about it. So Lorraine. Stay calm. We'll talk about it soon. Yeah, All right? yeah. It's a classic. It's a classic. Um, yes. Or as, yeah. as Nate was saying, click, 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 classic. Click, click, classic. 
Um, and then we got something from somebody named Rumbles. I love this one because this person is inside my head. So he wrote, Midnight Offerings, Midnight Offerings, Midnight <laughs> Offerings. And then he wrote, but seriously, someone's, someone is watching me, The Possessed, and a little ditty called Midnight Offerings. Oh, so, yes. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about someone's watching me. Have we, we all seen that one? Yes. I don't think so. It's, it's the John Carpenter one, right? Yeah. Have yes. you not seen that one, Dan? I don't think so. Let me let me let me look here while you guys it's, are talking. It's with Lauren Hutton, and it's really Adrian Barbeau's in it, and um, she's basically like uh, moves to a, a L.A. from another town, and she was in this really beautiful apartment, and somebody starts giving her these creepy phone calls, and then they start like kind of maybe showing up in her apartment, and they know an awful lot about her, and so she starts kind of investigating what this could be, and um, it's mostly. It's like 70%, maybe it's not 70%, it's like 60% of Lauren Hutton just doing monologues by herself. And it's really good. It's a lot of her kind of just talking to herself and being alone. And Adrian Barbeau is her best friend. And she's got a love interest played by David Burney, um, who's super sexy in it, let's face it. Um, (laughs) He's super sexy in everything in the 70s. And and it's really creepy. Uh, Nate, what what did you think of it? Um, Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree. I I think... The first time I watched it, I think I might have judged it a little unfairly because um, I, I found out it was, you know, a John Carpenter film before he did Halloween. And right. I was very excited because I think I was just, I was probably about trying to hold it up to the Halloween's level. Mm. And I, so I think I was being unfair because when I first watched it, I was a little, I guess, underwhelmed. But I rewatched it again. Um, it's probably been about two or three years ago. It's not been that long, uh, but I, 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 my appreciation for it grew, I should say. I was able to view it, I think, in a little more fair mindset. But it's, it's not a bad movie by any means, but you know, it's just I'm such a huge Halloween fan right. that mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I built it up in my head. Well, everything he did afterwards was super cinematic, you know, and, and someone's watching me, it looks really good, but it's not necessarily cinematic because a lot of it takes place just in the apartment and it's a, it's a much smaller film than what he would do later, like with Prince of Darkness, which is my favorite, The Fog, Escape from New York. I mean, those are all pretty epic, you know, in scale in terms of visuals and he's not, and Halloween, of course, is a really beautifully shot film. He did it for very little money, but it has a really big glossy kind of beautiful beautifully framed shot you know Mm -hmm. look to it and someone's watching me also looks really good but it's it looks different you know it looks like a tv movie so um but it's so good i mean i think lauren hutton really carries the film she's a really likable presence anyway um and so i think if they had given it to a lesser actress it might not have been as good because she has to seriously carry that film by herself through so much of it but there's so many creepy scenes in it and Adrian Barbeau is amazing in it as well mm-hmm. um, that's definitely a really good one um, so yeah. those are all good yeah. picks oh sorry yeah I, I, ha- I have not seen it but I, I, I would like to know I'm, I'm looking in Merrill and someone's watching me is um, the the in between someone I touched and something about Amelia oh my goodness and so that's and near something evil the Steven Spielberg oh one. So that's it's an interesting mix there. But, yeah, you know, I need to watch that. I, I think I knew of that one. I just have yeah. not got to it. It's pretty popular. It's on DVD. It did get a okay. second life on home video. And um, I highly recommend it. I think it's a lot of fun. I caught it on, like, TBS when I was, like, a teenager. And I was really excited because it was John Carpenter. And I loved it. That's what I remember. Um, and I've seen it several times since then. One week from tonight, 
She's young, beautiful, successful, and has everything to live for. But someone wants her dead. Hello? Lauren Hutton, David Burney, and Adrian Barbeau star in a chilling tale of suspense and terror. A twisted maniac is at large. Can he be stopped before it's too late? Someone's watching next Wednesday on NBC. So we have an uh, email from somebody named David C. Dean. Again, I think this is a first-time feedbacker. Hey, David. Uh, it's nice to hear from you. David! Um, he sent this today, I think. So he wrote, Hi, hope I'm not too late, but here are my choices for a great Halloween night of made-for-TV movie marathon watching. Number one, A Cold Night's Death. Great eerie oh, claustrophobic yes. thriller that reminds me a little of The Thing. Love Robert Culp and Eli Wallach. Number two, The Possessed, which was just mentioned. The scene where Joan Hackett spits nails at priest James Ferentino freaked me out as a kid when I saw this. That's my favorite scene in the movie. Vampire again. Richard Lynch is amazing in this and anything he does. The Midnight Hour. Such hey. a fun movie with a fun cast and total Halloween vibe that brings me back to my early, my early teenage years. And number five, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. This totally freaked me out when I saw the premiere around Halloween in 1981. It's genuinely creepy. Bonus, pray for the Wildcats. What's scarier than a whacked-out, rapey Andy Griffith terrorizing Robert Reed, William Shatner, and Margot Goldman? God loves this film. He's right. Thanks for letting me share. Your show is the best. Oh, thank you so much, David. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you for sending this in. This is a really good list. I think, I think Dan and I won't talk about The Midnight Hour because we did a whole episode of it, but Nate couldn't make it. I feel like oh yeah, friend, Nate, please yeah. I feel like your friend had a baby, and it was so stupid because you had to go. I visit think him. oh yeah, gr- yeah, that was Grant Grant's baby. That's yeah, right. and yes, so whatever, your priorities were backwards. I now. know. I told him like you could have asked your wife to wait, and then I could have done the show, and then I could it could have been a day later. <laughs> so tell us what um, you thought of Midnight Hour. This is a uh, film you really love, isn't it? I love The Midnight Hour. It's such a fun <laughs> Halloween movie. I'm very enthusiastic about it because I love the cast. And to me, The, the Midnight Hour is 100% a fun movie. Yes. It, it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's just what I would consider a popcorn film. It's just the kind of movie that I would sit back and uh, have a really good time watching, whether I was with the group or by myself. But I just I love movies set around Halloween. I love seeing everybody in their costumes. and. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just, I mean, fun would be my biggest way to describe it. I just think it's a very, very fun movie. I agree. And it has some really jarring moments. Also, it has the Smiths on the soundtrack, which is really fun. Um, But I love, I mean, we've already talked about it, so I guess I can be a little more spoilery with this one. But, like, you know the scene in the wine cellar with Sherry Belafonte where she fully transforms and she kills somebody, right, in the basement? Or does somebody attack her? I can't remember. And... Um, and she's got her like cape out, and they're playing the Smiths. How soon is now? And it's it's actually like a really creepy scene. Do you yeah, guys remember that? I, I believe I do. Yeah, I, I I remember my synopsis of that taking like forty five minutes when we did the episode. So I you know I uh, well, I we I went fully in. We got stuck because like the teacher comes as David Bowie. Do you remember that from Modern Love or something <laughs> like that? Like the costumes yeah. themselves are like a ten minute conversation. Yeah, because yeah. it's so good. And it's got Lee Montgomery, which is interesting because when I was re-listening to the Cheerleader Camp Hysteria Continues episode today, um, you mentioned, Nate, girls just want to have fun because Eric was going to be doing those dancing movies for Cinema de Meep. And mm-hmm. um, and he mentioned girls just want to have fun and you were saying how much you loved it. And I forgot Lee Montgomery is in both The Midnight Hour and Girls Just Want to Have Fun and Dead of Night. That's actually one of my picks. Ah! Yay! Oh, okay. Um, spoiler! 
Um, so, <laughs> uh, so I guess the one we'll talk about next is A Cold Night's Death because, Dan, you kind of went, oh, when he said that. And now, I haven't seen this movie in a long time. I will confess, though, I didn't really care for it when I saw it, and I feel like I really need to revisit it because I've not heard anybody agree with me at all about it, and I don't know why I didn't care for it. So I feel like maybe I wasn't in the right frame of mind, and yeah. I'm going to go back to it. Yeah, I, I um, the first time I, I saw it, for the first time quite some time ago, and I don't fully remember how I saw it. Someone may have shown it to me, and I remember being a little indifferent to it, although I really like the fact that it's mainly just two guys, yes. like, getting colder and colder and i and i i like that sort of thing and, and not that i like to watch guys get cold I, I like the sort of like the the bottle episode kind of feel mm-hmm. of like just just two people uh, but actually as we were prepping this podcast a couple of years ago one of the films i said i need to watch this again i rewatch cold cold night's death and i thought wow I, i'm i actually quite enjoy this i'm not gonna go too far into it. it's robert culp eli wallach they're at like a, a station in the cold and their things are happening and we'll talk about it but i i just i just watched it and thought oh yeah i, I get this one now it, it just took an extra viewing i i'm sorry i'm being so vague with my descriptions but these are all things i'm hoping we're going to talk about yeah. and um and when i start talking i don't stop sometimes <laughs> So Only I need to rate myself. Only when you're drinking. Drink that'll be a little. That'll be after the number twos. Uh, then that'll start. Cool. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to that. Um, I mm. guess vampire's been brought up a couple times, so I'll just briefly. Oh, first, Nate. I'm sorry. Have you seen a Cold Night's Death? I haven't seen it. Okay. So, um, yeah, we got to put that on the list because I really need to revisit it. Um, so I'll just briefly talk about Vampire with Richard Lynch because now it's been a couple years again since I've seen it. But I loved it. I remember this movie as a kid. I think he used to play on our local channel quite a bit. And I don't think I realized, I think I thought it was that Cliffhangers episode that they made into World of Dracula. Um, which I also saw several times as a kid. And for some reason I think I thought they were the same film. And so when I rewatched it I was like, I'm remembering so much of this. Now it has Jessica Walter in it. Um, you know, and she's lovely and, uh, it's really fun. Richard Lynch is like surprisingly sexy in it, which is weird for me to say because I've never thought he was particularly sexy in anything, but he's really good as a vampire. He's very beguiling in it. Um, and I remember Jason Miller and, uh, E.G. Marshall, I believe were both excellent in it. Um, have either one of you seen it? I have not, although I, I, I have seen the episode of the show, The Last Precinct, from the mid '80s, um, and in one of those episodes, he plays a vampire. Oh, really? Yep. That was just a thing he did. Yeah, he's he was such an interesting guy. Is he still alive? No, he passed away. I have his autograph somewhere. Okay. He came into the bookstore I worked at, and um, I wasn't uh-huh. there, but my boyfriend at the time was, and was like, "Oh man, my girlfriend really loves you, man." And he was like, "Cool," and he signed something for me, and he said that he uh, Richard Lynch had a big fucking booger hanging out of his nose. <laughs> oh no, was. <laughs> Well, he was nice. He was, was nice. Was that um? Was that your was that your boyfriend Jeff Stinson? No, this was after way after Jeff. This was during my LA okay. years. This okay. was this was another guy. Um, All right. That I just won't mention. Anything. He was a great guy. But named after named after another killer in a late eighty slasher film. No, no. But he was really cute. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um, Nate, have you seen Vampire? I haven't seen Vampire. I've seen Vampires. <laughs> Is that the movie. John Carpenter movie? No, it's like this. Um, is it Italian? I think it might be an Italian, or I don't remember. But it's 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 a, it's a foreign movie about lesbian vampires. Uh, oh, vampire! <laughs> Vamp- 
Vampires. It's like a Y, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good movie. I've seen that. I liked it a lot, actually. It's very, I don't know, is, wild. Is not TV friendly. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> but yes, it's, I, it's, I, it's really beautiful. I mean, I talked about Vam- Vampire, the Carl Dreyer film from I, 1931 I, or 32. No, 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 no. Okay. Yeah. Um... So, uh, those are all really good picks. Um, we've talked about a lot of these on the show already, like Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, The Midnight Hour, uh, well, some of them. And uh, Pray for the Wildcats definitely has to come up. We're going to do an Andy Griffith. i got Andy Griffith on my brain right yeah. now. Anyway, yeah. he's always on my brain, but I really have him on my brain right now for um, a different reason. But, uh, so, uh, that was a really great list. Thank you so much, David. I'm really, really glad you're enjoying the podcast, and thanks for yeah. writing in. Um, thank you, David. Then, oh, sorry. And oh, then, thank you, David. <laughs> and then we heard from uh, Rockford J, who's uh, posts a lot on the Facebook page for the show. He's really great. Um, he just gave us five titles. They're all really good. Spectre with Robert Culp, The Norless Tapes, The UFO mm-hmm. Incident, Trilogy of Terror, and The Night Stalker. So, Yay. Um, I guess we should maybe start with The UFO Incident because I haven't seen that yet. And it's been on my to-watch list for like five years and every it aired for the Halloween season, and every Halloween I say to myself, "I'm gonna watch this." And then Halloween passes, and I never get a chance to squeeze it in. It's got James Earl Jones in it and Estelle Parsons, and it's based on a true story about oh, the the hills, the hills, right? Mm-hmm. That- Maybe, yeah, like a couple who got abducted or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's done very much like a I feel like a docudrama, perhaps. Um, oh. And it's really effective. Uh, according to everybody who's ever seen it. Uh, Dan, you seem to know what I'm talking about. Have you seen it? No, I know who the Hills are mm. uh, because I've 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 nerded it out sometimes on UFO stuff. And I, every time I see that title, I think I need to watch that. And then I end up watching Target UFO, <laughs> which is a really cheap theatrical UFO film from the guy who made Haunted from the mid-70s. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I've never actually got to the UFO incident. Yet, but I, 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 I'm in. If there's a UFO night, we can do. We could do it like a Bermuda Triangle UFO episode yeah, or something. That would be fun. That would Isn't be there fun. like um? Well, there's Saints Triangle, which is a classic, and we oh, need to discuss at some point. So that might be a yes. good double. Actually, that would be a really great double. And I better write that down, or I'm gonna forget. So give you yes, guys. please. <laughs> Nate, All right, have you uh, seen Nate, have you bet? Oh, sorry. <laughs> have you seen this movie? No, I have not. I've seen Devil's Triangle. Well, save that one. I'm surprised. I don't know that I saw that on any of these lists. Let's see. Um, Because that's a really good creepy film. That one actually has transcended over the years quite well. Um, Yeah, so UFO Incident we have to add to the list. Um, Other stuff he chose. Spectre, I think I've seen, but I don't remember it very well. That's with Robert Culp, and I feel like it was shot in England and is pretty good-looking film. Um, Not just because Robert Culp's in it, Um, but uh, (laughs) I think it's a pretty neat-looking movie. Um, Of course, he mentioned... Uh, the Norless Tapes, which is a classic and which we're going to talk about a little later, I think. Um, so I'll save that one. Trilogy of Terror, classic. Um, yes. Yeah, that one never fails to get me, um, you know, during the Zuni Finished All segment. So, sure. And the Night Stalker we've actually all talked about as well. So mm-hmm. those are all really solid classic choices. I really like those. And he gave us an idea for a double. So <laughs> that worked out yes, really well. Thank you, sir. Thank, thank you, you uh, Rockford. Um, so we're going to do our number twos now. Oh, right. Yeah, I'm going to go first. Uh, so oh. I went with a movie I actually really just discovered last year. It's a movie that I've, I've heard about and I've actually had for years. I had a VHS bootleg of it, but the VHS actually had no sound for some reason. So I would start it and 
it would go for like 30 seconds and I thought they purposely didn't have any sound to make it creepy and then I would realize oh this videotape has no sound and so I didn't get to watch it till I think I wrote about it last year for a blogathon and so I sat down with it um, it's called The House That Wouldn't Die, which is an Aaron Spelling production with Barbara Stanwyck and Kitty Wynn from The Exorcist and um, oh, I'm forgetting the names of the two male leads, but it's based on a Barbara Michaels novel called Ami Come Home. And um, the novel is one of the scariest books I've ever read. I discovered it a, a few years ago and I'll tell you why I bought it. Um, years and years ago, I worked at a bookstore that I've talked about before in LA and Rhonda Shear from USA Up All Night came in and I helped her oh, wow. and she was looking for Barbara Michaels Ami come home and we didn't have it so I special ordered it for her and we talked a little while and she kind of was pitching Barbara Michaels to me and um, I kind of made a note of it and then I found it used sometime later and so I picked up a copy and it was just kind of sitting on my desk one night and I was like you know what I'm gonna read this and it's so good and one of the reasons why it's so good is that Barbara Michaels actually has a degree she had a PhD in like Egyptology and when you could get degrees in Egyptology. And so she was trained in like research and stuff like that and sort of like not archiving, which is what I do, but in the research process. And um, so her book, this book in particular, and I think some of her other books, there's a there's a heavy duty research process in the books, but it's written really well. So these people have to discover, so it's about these, these people who inherit a house. In the book, it's in Georgetown and it's a house that's very uh, close to other houses in the house that wouldn't die it's off on its own kind of very secluded the her niece who comes to stay she inherits the house and her niece comes to help her sort of rebuild it and her niece gets possessed by something in the house and um they have to figure out who it is and why they did it and so they do a lot of research which they kind of do in the movie but they do it more so in the book but there's some scenes in the book that are really terrifying and I think it translated really well into the TV movie. And there's also a really interesting romance between Barbara Stanwyck and her male love interest, who was Richard Egan, that's the actor. And it gets a little rapey, um, which is unfortunate, but that's part of the story because he's also being possessed. It's really not, I really like movies with older people having romances because like Jackie Brown, I think that that's just kind of fair play. And um, this one does it really well. Plus Barbara Stanwyck looks amazing in it. And it's got a lot of really nice creepy moments and it has a really sad ending. I watched it on my elliptical and uh, I loved it. And I actually, <laughs> I actually cried at the end. Oh. Um, it's got a really, really kind of sad when you find out why there's a haunting. I, to me, it was really effective. Um, I think it's a really, really good classic ghost story. Um, have either one of you seen The House That Wouldn't Die? No. I've seen it, but oh my goodness, it's been a very long time. And I don't remember much about it, I'm afraid. I'd watch it again, though. Yeah, it's yeah, I, I would watch it once. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Then twice. <laughs> then twice. Yeah, I think it's worth watching. Um, I would recommend the book maybe over the movie um, mm. because I think the book is just really scary. But there's something really effective about the movie, and I think it's a little underrated. Um, it came out really early on. I feel like it's a 1970 TV movie. Um, so it came really early on to this sort of it is yeah, yeah yeah it is and um and you know Aaron Spelling really liked working with Barbara Stanwyck they would work together through the years including the Colbys I think um, oh I love the Colbys yeah I think she was on that and she did another TV movie with him maybe A Taste of Evil as an Aaron Spelling production and um, I feel like they did it oh they did something when he was doing Zane Grey Theater as well I believe that's what it was and she was on that with him so they have a long relationship and you know he really liked using classic actors in mm. stuff and putting them in these very dignified uh, roles and things like that and he did a really good job with her um, in this she's stunning in it 
Um, so that would be my recommendation for number two. Uh, Nate, what would you pick? What I would pick, and I'm very sorry for that little delay, but there was a plane flying overhead. So I was like, if I can hold out just like a few more seconds, this plane will go by. And I, I, yeah, my, my my phone started ringing a moment ago, and I was on mute, hoping, <laughs> saying, Amanda, don't ask me anything. Don't ask me anything, please. <laughs> Um, well, I gave a little spoiler uh, earlier for it, but it's 100% the 1977 film Dead of Night. I absolutely love the film. It's an anthology. Mm-hmm. And I'll admit, the first two stories, while I like them, uh, they're probably not near as memorable as the final story with Joan Hackett yes. and uh, Lee Montgomery. That story gave me nightmares as a kid. I stayed up late to watch it, and... Um, I mean, the, the basic plot line of this story is um, Joan Hackett plays a mother whose son has died, um, you know, from falling off of a, a cliff because, you know, they, they live in this like she lives in this big mansion near, near a cliff. And she has this seance where she's going to bring him back to life. And um, he actually does you know, show up at her doorstep, but he starts acting really odd. And strange, and then it turns very deadly. I won't give any spoilers away, but it's it's really good. It's really suspenseful, and the final shot yeah. probably got me just as bad as the final shot of "Don't Go to Sleep." Yes, it's a wickedly dark film because things get revealed as the. It's only like fifteen minutes long, maybe a little longer, but like the story gets, it goes deeper and deeper into like the loss and like what happened and what may have actually happened and and it gets it goes to really dark places when you think about it and um, yes and that's what's so effective about it i when i was in london and i gave my talk at the miskatonic i did a thing on little monsters and um i did i did a clip from this but um it's so i rewatched it and every time i rewatch it it really gets to me i think because again we're talking about that sort of human factor in it like don't go to sleep has it's got a real like small quality because it is about grief but it's not about grief it's about other things but there's like it's dealing with topics that you don't necessarily see on the big screen um and uh and yes that last shot it still freaks me out so good oh absolutely the yeah the i agree with you to me they pack a lot of story in like that short time span Yes. And it's very intriguing. And like, it's almost like there's so many layers to that story. And as it goes on, like each layer kind of gets peeled away. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's very, very highly recommended uh, if anybody out there hasn't seen it. And it is on DVD. And Joan Hackett looks fabulous in it, by the way. Oh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I think she's in a lot of white in it, in this big, beautiful house. It's pretty, she looks pretty amazing. Um, and it's like very stormy. And yes. she's like walking these long hallways with this flowy, like white gown on. Yes. Yes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It, visually, yeah. It's really, really a very appealing film on so many levels. Yeah. I recommend that one too. I like the first two stories as well, but I agree with you. I think the one uh, with Anjanette Comer and the Vampire with Patrick McNee is pretty good. Um, then yeah. there's the one about the car, which is good, but it's not like scary or anything. It's more like a fantasy story with Ed Begg. Yeah, it was my least favorite. Yeah, it's watchable. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not necessarily like a a horror movie. I don't think it belongs necessarily in the anthology. Do you know what I mean? They could have picked a yeah. better one, but it's Ed Begley, so whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, now, Dan, have you seen Dead of Night? No, no, not not that. No, no, I, I, I'm starting to sound like a bad uh, podcast guy here. No, I have not seen that one yet. That's fine. I'd there's, like it. There's all movies we haven't seen on here. People are bringing up all kinds of titles. Oh. 
Dan, I would love to hear your uh, thoughts on the final story, at least in Uh-oh. Dead of Night. It's funny because I I'm I I know of it and and it's just I have not watched it so I I'm in we'll we'll do an episode we'll do a dead of night we'll do an, another an, have we done an actual anthology we did one? trilogy of terror okay well we can do an anthology one and de- uh, we'll, well do that it might be a good one with um we're kind of going off the map but maybe if we do well no because we're gonna do that for Christmas I think but you know that a little game movie is about an evil kid and this is essentially about an evil kid so okay uh, but maybe there's other evil kid movies we can pair it with I think that might be kind of fun oh yeah this is a, yeah okay yeah I would really like to see, I need to get that DVD if that's still in print yeah I need it's to also get got that. the darkness yeah. that blazed on as a sec as a feature okay. all the whole movies on there so it's worth picking up okay. for that this is the dead of night. It has nothing to do with time. It can happen in sunshine or in moonlight, in the best of weather or the worst. For the dead of night is a state of mind. That dark, unfathomed region of the human consciousness from which all the unknown terrors of our lives emerge. The dead of night exists in all of us. And no one knows at what strange, unexpected moment it will make itself known. And so, tonight, for your entertainment, three tales. One of mystery, one of imagination, and one of terror. Um, and Dan, what is your number two pick? Okay, hey everybody. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> um, here we go. Now, um, it's ABC... We, we've hopped back about a year from my previous movie. September 26, 1972. It's a Filmways presentation, darling. Director Daniel Petrie, teleplay Alvin Sappinsley from a novel by Leslie H. Witten. We get Barbara Rush, Bradford Dillman, Royal Dano, uh, Jeffrey Lewis, and one of my favorites, David Jansen. Ooh. It's M- Moon of the Wolf. Oh, yes, yes. So, Moon of the Wolf, I'm going to read Merrill's description because it's a perfect summation of the movie. After several townspeople are savagely murdered, a Louisiana, flip the page, bing, Bayou Sheriff searches for a crazed killer and becomes convinced that he's chasing a modern-day werewolf. Loop guru, loop guru. And I... um. This is one that you, you, you see on a lot of like the Mill Creek sets and the, yeah. the cheapy DVDs, which are can be a lot of fun. And I, I rewatched this yesterday. And of the three I picked, this is the um, – and th- this is not to denigrate it, but this is the, the least of the three, but it's still pretty darn fun. Yeah. David Jansen is – is always awesome. I wish I could do his voice. I can't. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I sound more like I don't know. I'm doing more in Ernest Borgnine in there. I think, but he's just. I, I. I. I never watched a lot of The Fugitive, but I'm a huge fan of Harry O. Yes. And I, I just. It's just like whenever I see David Jansen in something, I just think he's so good. Yes. I, I just think there's there's something about him where you like you look at him and it's like he he's got that like that like um that. It was always so strange to me that it wasn't in more like um, uh, was he in any like actual like motion pictures like cinematic. He probably things. was, Be- but I only know him really for television. Yeah, yeah, because he's got that sort of charisma, like almost like he he's like the the gruffer, like Jimmy Stewart or something like that, where like you want him to be your friend, you know, and he and 
and he he's he's so good in this and the loca- they shot it in like um Louisiana and and it the locations are fantastic and look you you have swampy bayouy areas I'm in I'm in all the way I'm I'm I 100% I almost picked um one of my picks was almost um is it the flight the some the flight flight 501 I forget oh, what the title is. With Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah with Ernest Borgnine. There's two of Borgnine. those. There's two of those. Um, shit. One's the Ghost of Flight 401 and one's the Crash yes. of Flight 401. And it's, Ernest Borgnine's yes. in the one I've seen. I haven't seen the other one. I think he's in it's, The Ghost. That's a great ghost. movie. Yeah, yeah. I watched I watched that one too. And that was uh, within my like top six. Yeah, that's a good um, one. The, the reason why I didn't pick it was because it was, it was more paranormal investigation rather mm-hmm. than um uh sort of uh horary creepiness yeah, it's sad too it's kind of a sad it's film. super yeah it's super sad it's one of the it, yeah it's you should just everyone watch it um but but but, but um and i keep almost saying scream of the wolf yeah because that's not as good it's not as good and is is it who's in that peter graves or peter who graves, also uh ace buchanan's in it from one life to live uh phil carey okay. and i can't remember who the other oh it's clint walker right yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah I, it's a Dan I, Curtis joint, but I don't yeah. like it as much as Moon of the Wolf. Moon, Moon of the Wolf, I think it. I think Moon of the Wolf is very well written. It 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 creates this. Um, t- it's basically it's a place called Marsh Island in Louisiana, where there's like a like um like a Kennedy esque sort of royal family who have the huge estate. That's and the. That's what I was going to comment on, is that the, the film has really interesting, and now I haven't seen it in a while, but my memory of it is is that it actually has really interesting class issues in it. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it's, it's it's one of those things where, like, when one of, there are only two family members left, a brother and sister. And, like, when, when the sheriff takes the sister for a drink in a bar, he's like, uh, and they're, they're discussing something or other, and, and uh, he says... And they they mention the guy who owns the bar, and he says, "Well, as soon as everyone learns that you're here, he's going to raise the prices of his beer like five times tomorrow." You know, it's it's like there's this thing that's very like this this sort of royal family, and everyone's right. like, "Oh, Mister and Mrs. I forget their names," um, but it, it's it's a it's a it's the identity of the werewolf once you actually focus is pretty obvious. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but but I don't know I don't know that that's actually a a bad thing because by time I had focused in and said oh he's or she is the werewolf I'm not gonna ruin it um, he or she is the werewolf uh, I I we were some ways into the film and well, I was kind of it's about the story I think it's got a pretty good yes. story and so it's like it's almost kind of like. The werewolf is in addition to what's happening because there's a lot of yes. different things going on in it's... it. Um, Nate, have you ever seen it? Moon of the Wolf? I have not seen Moon of the Wolf, but I like the title. I thought it's maybe great you, I thought maybe you might bring up Death Moon. Do you remember that? Oh, I remember Death Moon. You had it on VHS and you were getting yes. it on VHS and you'd already sold it by the time I got in touch with you. And uh, I was so mad because there's a TV movie with Robert Foxworth that I have. I, I saw that. I saw that like a year or so ago. Yeah, yeah it's, I, it's pretty good. I like it. It looks. Yeah. I don't remember it that well now, but it looks like an exploitation movie. Like it's got a really cool look to it. That's like different yeah, yeah. than a lot of TV movies. Um, and uh, and it's pretty enjoyable. And so I thought. I don't know if you're a big fan of it, Nate, but I remember you had a copy of it. 
I, I liked it. I don't know if I'd say I was a big fan, but I mean, I, I did like it. I miss all my VHS tapes. You know what? I never forgave you for selling that. You had a couple really good TV movies, and I, but you had already gotten rid of them. Like, you put the list up, and then, like, I contacted you, like, three hours later, but they were already gone or something. Like, somebody had snapped up. One of them was The Possessed on, like, uh, Unicorn Video. It was oh very rare. God. Nate, that should be in my I got, hands. I mean, they sold, they sold a lot of... They gave me a lot of money for it. I hate it. I hate it. I'm so jealous. But, um, Sometimes yeah. that happens. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, so we talked about three werewolf movies here, just to recap in case people are into werewolf movies. The TV movie did do it. And so Death Moon, Moon of the Wolf, and Scream of the Wolf are all pretty good choices, but I would go with Moon of the Wolf first um, because yeah. I think it does have kind of an interesting, plus the cat, that cast. Now, that you know cast. I love Robert Foxyworth. Um, yeah. a lot, but um, I know, and he's good in it. But uh, but I think Moon of the Wolf, like we were talking about movies with layers and things like that. This one I think has different things to look at that are make it a, a kind of a more interesting film in a way than maybe and the it, other two. And it's it's based on a novel, so I'm I'm thinking mm-hmm. probably there there was some. It's based on a novel by. Uh, oh crap! I don't have the page up here anymore. Sorry. Okay. No wait. Oh, oh no! I got it right here. Um, from a novel by Leslie H. Witten. I don't oh, know who he that said is. That, I think. Yeah, I don't know who that is. But the thing about it is that like horror novels from the seventies and eighties and such, they always had, whether or not it was well done, um, a super developed sort of uh, worlds yeah. in them. That just because you need to, because it's a novel, and I feel like they they brought some of this into Moon of the Wolf, and I I I love the setting, and I love that like like all the poor characters who uh, who just sort of just seem to barely be getting by. They're they're they they feel very rich, and they go on like uh, they go on. Uh, wild dog hunts because they think it's the wild dog that's killing everyone and it's just it's a I don't know I recommend it I think I think you you start with cat creature because it's kind of a B movie fun it's a little absurd but and it's set in the streets of Los Angeles then you hit the bayou and you have a werewolf and you have the rednecky characters mm-hmm. and things like that. So that's the, and we'll change it up again for the third one. So. Cool. Okay. Well, then let's get to everybody else's picks. Um, our next one is from one of our favorite people, Jack DVD seventy eight. Yay! Um, hey, Jack. Yeah, we love Jack. He's a lot of fun. So he sent in some really great picks. Let me get started here. Jack DVD seventy eight with three picks for Halloween viewing. While they may not be considered straight up horror, they are entertaining. All have great stories and throw in some sex appeal. And how could you go wrong? Maybe there should be a uh, maybe there should be a list titled "Hotties of TV Horror." That would be a lot of fun actually to do. Um, so his first choice is "One Deadly Owner" from the Thriller TV series, 1974, which I'm so excited he picked a Thriller episode. And this is going to come up again, by the way. I watched this one recently, and all you need to know is that gorgeous model played by Donna Mills wearing awesome outfits by the haunted Rolls Royce. Jeremy Brett plays her photographer boyfriend, and he is hot. Agreed, wow. Jack. He may be wow. more well-known for his role in My Fair Lady from 1964, but he looks really hot in 1974. By the way, he I know him best from... Sherlock Holmes, right? Yes, from Sherlock Holmes, and also he's in a TV miniseries called Deceptions where he plays like the gay best friend. Oh, I've seen some. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, he's yeah. wonderful. He's wonderful. But I do know him best from Sherlock Holmes. Um, he, yeah, he is one of the, I think, one of like the two or three best Sherlock Holmes yes. ever, yes, ever, ever. Yes, he's fantastic. 
Um, second mm-hmm. pick is Haunts of the Very Rich. Yay, 1972. Oh, wow. This one yeah. is an eerie story of a group of very rich people on a flight to what I'll call an all-inclusive destination. You get Donna Mills again, this time with Tony Bill playing her handsome, hot husband. So true. Lots of other TV <laughs> fave star power actors in this one, um, for sure. I like the atmosphere and sometimes claustrophobic feel to this one. I do, too, very much. Um, Robert Reed is fantastic in it. And my last pick is Crawl Space from 1972. This is one yes. that surprised me. I'd say it is a slow burn, but this movie is a chiller, so let's call it a slow freeze. It's really hard to explain. The less you know about the story, the more you will enjoy it. First time I watched it... Uh, I may have had too much coconut rum because it felt like a dream, and at times I wasn't sure that it was all happening. It seems like a subversive, such a subversive film, really brave for a TV movie. Tom Happer plays a troubled but strangely hot young man. Okay, I may be alone in that opinion. You are not, Jack. But let's face it, many like brooding mysterious men, right? Just turn down the lights and witness one of the most interesting psychological TVM thrillers of all time. Now, we covered this uh, movie. Uh, Nate didn't make sure it. sure did, yeah. But I'm a huge fan of Crawl Space. I wrote about it um, in a class I took on Frankenstein, so I wrote like a 10-page essay on it. I'm very <laughs> familiar with the film. I think Tom Happer's fantastic, and he is hot, but he's also really under-the-radar menacing in it, yet I want to love him, which is what's so compelling about the character. Um, mm-hmm. Because essentially, you know, it's about a childless couple who move into a well they've been living at this house kind of out in the middle of nowhere and this guy shows up to fix something in the house and then he ends up sort of invading their crawl space and living there and they want a child so badly they kind of let him stay and and i i liken it to frankenstein probably because there's more stuff in the novel that's frankenstein-esque but there's this really great sort of birthing scene so he's in the crawl space uh, you know kind of becoming the child that he thinks they want and then he comes out in the suit do you remember this with his hair all messed up? Yes. On Christmas, yeah. another Christmas. Christmas, movie, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's trying to sort of assimilate himself into their lives, but there's something not quite right with him, so he can never truly fit. And they're forcing the fact that they want a son onto him. So everybody's got their own ideas of what needs to happen, and they're coming at all these different angles, and um, it kind of leads to chaos and death. And um, I can't recommend it enough. I think that's one of the best TV movies yeah. I can think of. Um, Nate, did you end up getting a chance to watch Crawl Space? I actually did not, so I have some making up to do. So disappointing. Yeah, it's I, really I good. think I, I think you'll like it. I think you'll like it, Nate. It's really it's it's one of those films that begins semi weird and then goes super weird as it goes along. It's like just wow. Wow. Yeah. It's it's so well acted too and, and he's right that it's a slow burn. I mean you really have to just sit with it and and let it kind of become a part of your life, you know, for seventy five minutes. But it's worth it. It's really worth it. And I read the novel, and the novel's amazing, too. And um, it gives more backstory to Tom Happer's character, which I don't know if it is a good or bad thing. I have mixed feelings about it. But um, but it's an excellent novel, and um, I think people could do right by themselves by checking both out if they are up for it. Um, what, that's one I would recommend. What, what I'm, you, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, Nate, please. Please. Oh, I mean, I was actually just going to say that uh, at least I can say I have seen One Deadly Owner. <laughs> oh, tell us about it, because I have seen a lot of the thrillers, but I don't re- remember this one. I No, I have not seen that one. Yeah, I don't know that one. Uh, to be honest with you, the main thing I remember is uh, Donna Mills, because I'm a big Knott's Landing yeah. fan, and sure, I love Abby. Sure. Oh, she's just um, wonderfully <laughs> bitchy. Yes, she is. Um, <laughs> 
and I think Donna Mills is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like she is just a, a, a very gorgeous woman. And uh, in this movie, um, or like it's, it's, I mean, it's not really a movie. It's 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 about an hour long. You know, it's your, your, your typical thriller. You know, episode because I like a lot of the thriller episodes. Actually, a lot of them came out on um, VHS, and those are like giant oversized boxes. Yes, I have a few of those. Oh, those are awesome. I used to have some of those till I sold them. Oh, Kicking myself great. now. Uh, I had to. Um. Yeah. I. I. When he. Well, the thriller is coming up a little later too. So maybe we'll go into more, more into thriller in a little bit. Sorry, I couldn't get that out. Yeah. But, but um, Donna Mills was in several episodes. I do know that, and um, she is beautiful. And you know, I follow her on all of her social media. And you know, sometimes if I mention her in a tweet, she'll like it. <laughs> it's so weird. Huh? It's so neat. That's like, awesome. Yeah, if I retweet something, she'll like it, and like, um, and she always likes all her posts on Instagram. And I tried to bring up a movie she made the other day. I was hoping she'd respond to it. She did a TV movie called An Element of Truth that I just reviewed for my blog like a couple months ago, and um, and she did it with um, oh Perry Reeves, and her and Perry Reeves were at a party recently, and I was like, oh my god, it's an Element of Truth reunion. And I really thought that was going to get her going, but it didn't. I'm trying to like get her to talk about her TV movies, you know. But um, she hasn't bit yet. But she does like my post because I'm always like she goes to a lot of events and I'm always posting pictures of her and writing Donna Mills for the win because oh. she's like 75 <laughs> and looks amazing. You know what I mean? Like she's still that same. She looks exactly the same. And um, and I worship her because I think Abby is a really interesting character on Not Slanting because one thing I always remember about Abby that's very important and I carry with me when I'm thinking about like being crushed by the patriarchy is like there was one day she was having a a conversation with her daughter on the show who was the little girl I think from Dark Knight of Scarecrow and she said um she said I do things maybe she wasn't talking to her daughter but I think she was she says I do the exact same things that men do in business but I'm a bitch for it they're good businessmen and that really struck me because Mm. that's so true and it kind of like is like a motivator for me sometimes when I'm feeling like people aren't taking me seriously because I'm a woman, you know, which happens from time to time. A lot now we're finding out, right? But, um, and I always have that little Abby voice inside me. Now I'm not sleeping with senators and stuff, but, you know. <laughs> but You're not I, trying to steal Gary Ewing, are you? No. You oh. Gary Ewing, get rid of him. But w- William Devane? <laughs> really? Well, oh. he, I don't know. I don't. He's hot, but I don't like the character that much on the show, which is interesting because I hated Valene on Dallas, but I loved her on Knott's Landing. And I am actually Valene in a lot of ways. Valene went back to school when she was older, and she became a writer, and she did really well at it. And and I I watch her life, and sometimes I really relate to it on, like, multiple levels. But I want to be Abby is what it comes down to. You know Mm. what I mean? But I feel like she's getting on with William Devane at some point. And you know what? Let's do it, man. Go for it. Uh, Vang, guys. I, I, always, I always feel bad because uh, I've watched the first season of Knott's Landing but haven't gone beyond that. But I've seen every single episode uh, apart from the last season of the current run of Dallas. Of Dallas. So the to, original. You have to see past the first season of Knott's Landing because it starts. It's like Melrose Place. Okay. The first season of Melrose Place is kind of shit. And then it really gets okay. going. And, okay. and it becomes super compelling. And that's kind of where Knott's Landing was. I think the thing why I always love Gary is Gary the is and we've said this before Gary is the one who refuses to um go with the Bobby didn't die thing. Mm. When he, he's the one not landing that's the point not landing splits from Dallas. That's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Yes. 
So so that's why I like Gary because he has the courage of conviction to actually buck the continuity of the more popular television program. And I go for that. Gary so never I, came back for me after his affair with Abby because it wasn't – I mean, right. yeah, the affair is bad. I mean, definitely. But what bothered me is the way Gary treats Valene when he's having an affair. I mean, he's already doing something wrong. And he treats Valene like she's just awful. Like, I remember one scene when it's before she goes over to Valene's house and, like, smacks her. uh, Like, Gary goes into a room and just slams the door in Valene's face and won't even talk to her. And I'm like, you're cheating on her, but you're like, like, it's like she's the blame or something. Yeah, I remember there were things about his character I didn't like. Um, and and I think he ends up cheating on Abby too, doesn't he? Like, there's a part part point where he's Gary from her, and I feel like he ends up with Lisa Hartman. Yes, he does end up with Lisa Hartman for a bit, and and I think he ends up back with Valine too. Ugh, whatever. I I had a period <laughs> in my life. I had a period in my life for about two weeks where I ended up with Lisa Hartman. So <laughs> so I did. can't fully argue. She's fully argue. Lisa. She, yeah, she I, was I guess. CG. I, it, yeah, it, it's funny because I I've watched Dallas uh, the original run every single episode. My wife and I watched them. Um, I started watching Falcon Crest. Uh, recently on yeah, um, Ornark Vincent, and I'm not. I know it's the Waltons guy who created yeah, it, but I'm Amber. not. I'm as... on like episode 13. I think it's. I think it's going to be like a Melrose Place where I have to write it out, and it'll, we should. We should stop talking about this, but oh um, yes, okay. But I'm hoping no, it'll uh, kick in. Okay, yeah, there is a fun show on Warner Archive Vincent, The Yellow Rose, with yes. Sam Elliott, yeah, Sybil Shepherd. That's just like thirteen episodes or something, right? It's a lot easier. Yeah, it's a it's a season. It's like twenty two okay. episodes, and it's it's fun. So I guess um. Valine, whatever happened to Valine? I love that name. Yeah, I ended up really liking the character, but now we're done. Yes. Okay. So let's go. With, <laughs> so my friend Dave Felter. I don't actually think Dave listens to the show, but um, and I called him Dave. He always I always call him David because I know him as David Felter. Um, that's how we met. And then he told me to call him Dave, and then I called him Dave, and then I went to DF for Dave Felter. <laughs> so that's what I call him now. I was calling him something else for a while too. I can't remember. Oh, just Felter. Um, I've known Dave for a long time. He's one of my best friends. He's a great guy. Um, so he, he just left a very concise, short list here on Twitter. He wrote Salem's Lot, uh, and maybe Don't Be Afraid of the Dark too. So many good ones to choose from. So that's Dave's short list. But Salem's Lot is a miniseries, so, I mean, that takes all night to get through anyway. Yeah, well, well you can do, uh, you can do, uh, Salem's Lot, part one, his next pick, and then Sam's up part two. So you yeah. can you can break yeah, so he got it. Yeah. He got it down to three. So anyway, thanks David for participating in that or Dia. Thank you, David. Um, and then our good friend Shannon uh, wrote it. Yay! In. Yay! We love Shannon, and she wrote, "If this movie marathon is just me alone in the dark because I've turned off all the lights to discourage trick or treaters, then I will go with Saint School for Girls, nineteen seventy three. at London Bridge, woo, nineteen eighty five. Oh, nice. I loved that one." Um, oh. And Nick Knight from 1989, which I was so glad what? you picked. Because Is that the Rick Springfield, Springfield pilot movie to the... What? Now, I've watched Nick Knight a thousand times, and I keep forgetting like <laughs> to mention it. because, And I don't know why, because it's good. But mm-hmm. I keep like... I keep wanting to like write about it, so I'll watch it, and then I'll end up doing something else, and I'll kind of forget that I watched it. It's so good. It's so much fun. It's very late 80s aesthetically. Um, I don't know if either one of you have seen it, but Rick Springfield looks amazing in it. And it's a really, really fun movie about a vampire who's like a graveyard shift yes. cop. And, yeah. And he gets yeah. into all kinds of hijinks with it. And the series is pretty good, too. 
Um, although I didn't watch it regularly, I just caught it from time to time. But I think the pilot movie was a really good place to start. Um, now, have you seen it, Dan? I, I, I remember seeing that when it aired. And I remember having a good time with it. Is that how long did that run? Is that a short-lived TV series? I feel like it ran Is a couple that... seasons. No, I feel like it had oh, a fun. pretty solid okay. cult following. I'm not positive oh, of that, but I feel like it ran three or four years even maybe. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Okay, yeah, I remember watching that and having a good time watching it. And just even, even then, what was I, 16 or 17, when I was watching it thinking, huh, this is kind of um, – this is something I'll look back at in 20, 30 years and go, huh, Rick Springfield, he's a vampire cop. Hmm. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So. Well, I think I watched it when it originally aired, too, because I'm a, I'm a Springfield lifer. Um, sure. You know, I love him, and uh, I mean, I own Heart to Hold, for fuck's sake. And um, I think he's amazing. And I remember this being, he's a really good actor, um, and he's really, really fun in the role. And But what I remember most about it is aesthetically, it's very much of its time. And so I have yes. a really good time watching it because it feels so 1989. And mm -hmm. um, and it's just like a warm blanket in that way. It just reminds me of my youth so much. Like the hyper-stylized version of how I would have liked to have lived. You know what I mean? His apartment's like yeah. super cool. And it's fun. And it's got some in-jokes about being a vampire but a nice guy and like stuff like that. It's really good. Um, Nate, have you seen Nick Knight? No, actually, when you first said, I thought you were saying Nick at Night, and I was like Nick at Night, <laughs> but I was like, no, no, it's called Nick Night. I just looked it up on IMDb, so I got another one I want to add to my list now. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. really fun. Unusual new cop show on CBS, and I do mean unusual. It's called Nick Night. Springfield plays a vampire who means to take a bite out of crime. Is that a secret you'd like to share with me? In the CBS movie Nick Night, singer Rick Springfield plays a cop who definitely has a secret. He's a vampire, and that is a big problem. Aside from being pursued through the centuries by another evil vampire, Nick must also work nights, given the vampire's aversion to the sun. And he must have a daily fix of blood. The blood is treated almost like it's, it's an addiction, basically, that he's trying to beat. He's trying to get away from it. It's something that, that, that he's drawn to and, and also is repelled by, you know. I am what I am. I don't think Betty Ford takes vampires. Now, of course, Rick Springfield, the actor, always the optimist, was able to find a way to enjoy his grislier scenes. The blood sucking, there's a sexual thing to it, and you definitely feel it. You know, I mean, when a woman, a, a beautiful woman does this to you, I mean, it, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely a turn on. Rick says that dark tales have actually always appealed to him ever since as a rebellious teenager, he was kicked out of school. Nice to stay home all day and I'd read, I'd read horror stories. It was the first thing other than music that I felt was my own, you know, it was something that I had discovered. And I've, so I've always been attached to that, that, that side, the horror side, you know, the dark side. And she mentioned Terror at London Bridge and we, I don't want to go on too long, but I'll oh, mention oh. That, that that's a really good underrated film too. Um, with uh, basically Jack the Ripper ends up in Lake Havasu, Arizona. I know, I know, crazy times. And David Hasselhoff and the lady from Hunter, Stephanie Kramer, are the two who go looking for him. And um, it was written by William F. Nolan. Uh, and it's it's done and it's completely genuine in its approach. Oh, also Randolph Mantus in it from Emergency. We we love him and Clue Gulliger, of course. Um, and I think Dana Elkar might be in it uh, or Lane oh. Smith. I'm mixing them up. They're two, one of the guys from MacGyver's in it. But anyway. Um, it's uh, it it's 
outlandish, but it's done in such a oh, Rosemary's in it. Adrian Barbeau. Sorry, it's got a great cast. Um, it's, yes, it's done really straight faced, even though it's outrageous, and that's what makes it so charming. And uh, it's rewatchable to me. I've seen it several times. I've seen it on the big screen. In fact, in L.A., it played at a Clue Gulliger like tribute night they had at the New Beverly. Wow. And um, it played like at two in the morning, and I got to meet one of the actresses that was in the film. Um, I can't remember her name now. She plays a reporter in it. Uh, and um, I really, really like that one. Have either one of you seen Terror at London Bridge? Yeah, uh, several years ago. It's a hoot. It, it's really a lot of fun. It's like, I always think that, um, what is it, uh, uh, Jack the Ripper, you either get um, David Hasselhoff and Stephanie Kramer trying to stop him, or you go to 1979 and Bob Clark's Murder by Decree, and you oh, get yeah. Christopher Plummer as Sherlock Holmes and James Mason as Dr. Watson That's trying right. to stop him. So I don't know who's who's going to be Plummer and Mason or Kramer and Hasselhoff. I I can't yeah, say who, that. Who do you that, pick? That, that was the year where Hasselhoff was in Star Crash. Oh, so man. I think that was like his big his big like uh, big screen date. I he's, don't know if that's his big such screen debut. He's a genuine but. performer. He's so organic and so like I, I do, he's so like he's so good at taking like crazy like stories and being just like a regular guy in them. And I think that's what yes. makes them so good. Um, I really I, like David Hasselhoff as an actor. Very I, much. Yes, and I, I'll, I will say I have the Australian uh, Baywatch Nights season two DVD set, oh, cool. which I just finished watching uh, like uh, a week or two ago, and that's the one where they aped X Files. Yes. Yeah, and it's it's him and Angie Harmon of Law and Order and Rizzoli and Isles. Oh, and Video um, Voyeur, but, the Susan Wilson story. Of course, of so course. Good. And and they they basically they fight vampires and monsters and aliens and things like that. And you just sit there watching it, going, "This is so much fun." Yeah, this is so much fun. He he really is like he gives it his all, regardless of the screwballery that they're throwing yeah. up in his face. Yeah, so, so, good. so, I, so Nate, yes. have you seen Terror at London Bridge? Uh, yes. And actually I used to have the VHS for oh, it. Oh, you did. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Did you know there's, it's got one of my favorite taglines. It says, uh, there once was a lad named Jack whose tendency was to attack <laughs> with surgical skill. He'd go for the kill. And apparently he still has the knack. <laughs> I wish I had that VHS. Nice. TV Guide Dad was also really good for it. It might have been oh, what was the alternate title? It was like, oh yeah, what, I can't remember now. I, it's in the yeah. book. I reviewed it in the book. But yeah. anyway, it's whatever that title is. I think was the title originally aired under, and it had a really neat TV Guide ad. They did some pretty good promotional stills for it too that you can find online. Um, did you like the movie, Nate? I did. I think David Hasselhoff is just a hoop. Yeah, he's really fun, isn't he? He's just he's got a presence and a real likability. And I, you know, I met. William F. Nolan, and I actually interviewed him, and I have the tape here somewhere, but he said that he loved, uh, he was on the set a lot, apparently, and he really loved David Hasselhoff, and so, um, really great guy, he said, but years later, he ran into him, like, at a casino, and David Hasselhoff came up to him and was like, Bill, and just acted like no time had passed, and, like, they just ended up, like, having a drink or something, I can't remember, and he said he was just, like, so warm after, like, years of not seeing him, oh. and it, it just made my heart grow for Mr. Hasselhoff. Yeah, oh, so that's a good movie. Um, yeah, was a really Bridge nice... Across Time. That's it. I keep thinking Blade because I've seen the B in my head. But um, um, yes, that's a good movie. That's a lot of fun. I'm glad she picked that one because I probably would have yes. thought of it, and it's a good one to recommend. Um, yeah, I hadn't thought of that at all either. That was a, that was a super good one. Yeah, yeah I like it. <laughs> um, 
uh, our friend Annette Sowell, uh, who I've known for years online in the horror community, but we've only really recently started talking on Twitter. She's really cool. She wrote, um, I'd start my marathon off with an hour-long episode of the short-lived 80s show Dark Room. Yes, the Boogeyman Oh, my gosh, you. Annette. Oh. Yes, and Catnip. Wow. Uh, the Boogeyman Will Get You is my favorite Dark Room episode. I remember watching that as a kid, oh. and it really oh. terrified me. Um, followed by The Legend of Lizzie Borden. So good. Don't Go to oh, Sleep, yeah. Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, and Salem's Lot. So, real briefly... Dark Room only has like six episodes, but that means there's like 18 segments in them because they were it was an anthology show. And um, Catnip, I only saw for the first time, I think, or only remember seeing it um, like 10 years ago, maybe. It's got the guy that played, um, oh, I can't remember the character's name. He was in Porky's. And um, he was the racist guy. You want to fly oh, yeah. a kite? Remember yeah. that? He was mixing it up with Kike, yep. with the yep. Jewish kid, yep. and um, Scott Columby. I remember him. I, I think his name was Kavanaugh, the character. And um, and it's something to do with a cat, but they use these cat noises that go through the whole episode, and it drives you nuts. And that's part of what's so good about it, because it's like nails on a chalkboard, but it's constant. And so you've got this story happening with this cat. I feel like they can't get rid of the cat or something. And it's just this constant sort of uh, sensory overload on the cat crying. That's really effective. But the boogeyman will get you. I don't want to give too much away because I think if you have access to it, and maybe it's online, I don't know, um, it is wonderful. It's got Quinn Cummings and Helen Hunt as two sisters. Oh. And they believe that a guy has, they live out like in the woods or they're vacationing. And they believe that somebody who's out in like a nearby cabin may or may not be a vampire. And mm. it's amazing. It's amazing. Um so that's such a good choice, and I'm really glad she picked that. I'm really glad she kind of yeah. went with the anthology show, and I can't recommend Dark Room enough. I just think it's fantastic. Um, it's super fun, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nate, do you remember Dark Room? No, I don't remember that at all. Well, all right. It was like 81, 82. Yeah, it was right? very short. Yeah. Like, it just had a few episodes. Like and six, seven episodes, yeah. And yeah. it never had a home video release, but you can get bootlegs of it. And, um, I mean, it can be hit and miss, I think, but overall I think it's more hit than miss. Um, yes. And I think even the misses are pretty tolerable from my memory because I rewatched yeah. the series, I don't know, like a decade ago. But that Boogeyman Will Get You is so much fun. Yeah. I can't even recommend it enough. Um, so thank you, Annette. That's really, really great. Um, yeah, so thank good- you. Friday. Hello, I'm James Coburn. I know you'll be joining me in the dark room. James Coburn hosts stories of mystery and suspense, <laughs> spine tingling twists and turns. Act on it for me! Beware the stories that scare. Darkroom Friday here on ABC. Our good friend Caffeinated Joe wrote in. Hey, hey wrote, Joe. Hmm. I'm probably just going to go with what many others will say, but my picks would include The Night Stalker and Trilogy of Terror for n- known enjoyment. Then I would add Don't Go to Sleep and Trilogy of Terror 2 for a couple of things I haven't seen oh. but that look good and fun. So those are my choices. Happy podcasting. Um, thank you, Joe. Uh, Trilogy of Terror 2. Why don't you watch it and tell me what you think of it? I am not a fan. I am not. I love it. Do you? Oh, interesting. I love Trilogy of Terror 2. I like it better than part one. Why? Because every story I think is fantastic. Whereas in part one, first two stories were good, not great. But the last story was fantastic. But in part two, like they redo the Bobby story from uh, Dead of Night. And they did really good with it, and they followed the original story pretty well. Uh, the last story was the Zuni doll in a museum, which I thought was a lot of fun. And the first story was probably the worst, but I still really liked it with the um, rats. Yeah, the rats. I, I, 
It's it's probably the one I remember the least, though. Um, I will say William F. Nolan wrote the Trilogy of Terror 2 Zuni Fetish doll segment. He really wanted to do it because he was able to write the first two episodes, uh, the first two segments of Trilogy of Terror 1, but he didn't get to write the famous one with the Zuni Fetish doll. So when it came around again for him to get a chance to do the Zuni Fetish doll, he wanted really badly to do part two, and they gave it to him. I don't... I'll tell you why I don't like it. And I, I edited this out of the last episode because I felt like I went off the rails with it and I feel bad about it. I don't like Lizette Anthony as an actress at all. And to have her oh. lead the film like that in all three segments, I had a real difficult time with it. I think she's at her best in the trilogy, I mean, in the Zuni Fetish doll segment. But I don't, I just don't like that actress. And so I had a real hard time sticking with her. And she's no Joan Hackett, you know what I mean? And so, like, I've seen it a couple times and maybe I should give it another go. But the last time I watched it, it I just couldn't. I, and I'm sorry, I'm sure she's a lovely woman. I think I looked her up at when we did the Trilogy of Terror episode. And I felt really bad because I think she's probably a really cool woman. And I know people enjoy her as an actress or she wouldn't get any work. But she just, the, I, don't, I just don't like her as an actress. That's all I'm going to say about it. Huh. I, I, the, the main thing I know her from is Without a Clue. Which is uh, the the guy who made Soul Survivor and Night of the mm-hmm. Comet? Mm-hmm. That was his Sherlock Holmes film from like 1988 with Michael Caine uh-huh, yes. and Sherlock Holmes and Ben Kingsley as Doctor Watson, and she plays the lady, the sort of damsel in distress that they rescue, and she's she's fine in it. I mean, that film makes me laugh a lot, and and she's fine in it. I, I don't know. It was she in like. A dynasty, the Colbys, or something, or I'm I mean, think it's something. Really sure. I'm judging this mostly off Trilogy of Terror two, and she did this erotic okay. thriller in the '90s that's hilarious, but it's only hilarious because I think her performance is laughable. Okay. I hate saying that because you know what? She's working real hard. I hate saying anything negative yeah. about anybody. I really do. Sure. That, yeah. That's yeah. How much I, I don't know. like her as an actress, but I'm sure she's a lovely woman. She's beautiful, but you know, she just doesn't do it for me. And to have her carry the film was really tough for me. But oh. Nate recommended it, so I feel like Joe, you should maybe. Yeah, I've never seen it, so I'm uh, I'm semi interested now, mostly interested. Well, I mean, Nate makes it me feel like I should revisit it. Yes, yeah. I mean, especially if he liked the Bobby segment. Do you like it better than the original? No, 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 no. And and actually, if I'm being honest. Uh, I like um, the Zuni story, the Zuni doll story in the first trilogy of terror better than in the second. But the reason the second gets me is I actually really enjoyed all three stories. Whereas with Bed of Night, it kind of had a weak one with the time travel that, you know, I mean, I I didn't mind, but it just wasn't a favorite of mine. And in um, uh, the original trilogy of terror, I, I do like, you know, all three stories, but the first two to me were just very weak in comparison to how excellent that last story was with Amelia. Um, But in um, Trilogy of Terror 2, I thought they took like the best stories from other ones and kind of remade them, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I can see that. It was a USA original too, I think. So, Mm -hmm. mm, yeah, I mean, it has historical value maybe um <laughs> uh but anyway <laughs> that that laugh was uh, amanda trying to get over her not liking something <laughs> yes uh you know i struggle inside i try really hard to love everything but every so often you get me a liquid too, happy me too, yeah. yeah 
Yeah, and and every once in a while you get me whenever I mention final exam. Is yeah. a final exam a lot of fun? And you. Uh... Well, then Nate goes, yeah, and then I'm like, oh god, here we go again. All right, <laughs> so let me move on. Um, so here is a guy who has been on my uh, blog's Facebook page for a long time, and I I hope I pronounce his last name right. Um, it's Jeremy Giles or Giles. Um, he's a really nice guy. Uh, he wrote Trilogy of Terror, Duel, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, Gargoyles would be some of my choices. I think these films are some of the defining made-for-TV horror films and ones I personally enjoyed. Um, so he went strictly with the classics, um, which is you can't lose with any of those titles. Nope. Um, I think Duel... I'm not sure Duel shows up on the list again, so we'll just briefly talk about it. We did a podcast episode yeah. on it, so we won't go too deeply into it, but I just saw it on the big screen here. Um, wow. Well, it was projected on a big screen. It was just a DVD, but it was in a park in the summer, and it was really amazing. And um, that's a really timeless movie. And uh, it, Dennis, we've already mentioned Dennis Weaver. He's amazing. But, like, that's another, like, someone's watching me in the sense that you have to have an actor carry the film on his shoulders because it's really just him through most of the film. I'm referring yeah. more so than even someone's watching me. But uh, he does such a good job at it, and I just think it's such a classic film. And um, I know we've all seen it. I don't know if anybody has any thoughts on it. I I enjoy it. <laughs> um, no, I I think I mean the thing to me is I I would really love to see the every time I watch a duel, it's the extended version, and I really want to watch the original um, TV movie version because I feel like. Spielberg is such a uh, such a, a, a precise craftsman, like mm-hmm. like a watchmaker or something. You know, he's very precise, like cutting gems and stuff. That if he, what he showed us when it originally aired, was exactly what he wanted to show us. And I feel like the version we're seeing is probably like, yeah, that that works too. But I dying to watch that original yeah i am oh. too i'm too it's, pra- it's practically like a lost film to be honest yeah um, yeah nate do you have anything to say about duel i really love duel i think it's one of the best made for tv movies you said something really interesting that i never thought about before when we did the podcast originally and you said that at the scene at the like the climactic scene at the end when he's his car is i think starting to die or something and he you know he remember he bites his tongue or his lip and he starts bleeding and you were talking about like how effective that is because He's doing what we all would do. You know what I mean? Like, he's reacting exactly the way we would. And there's something about that scene that resonated with you. And now whenever I see it, I think about the blood on his teeth and, like, the terror of it. And it's such a nice little moment that I don't think I really paid attention to properly before you brought it up. And it adds, like, another element to it because it's like... There's no violence in the film, really. You know what I mean? And But him just biting his lip is, like, such a, oh, my God. And, like, you're really with him through the whole thing. You know, at the especially at the end, that he's just really gripping. And so I was so the last time I saw it I was really and the continuity's pretty good with the blood on his teeth and stuff. Well it's about time, Charlie. You want me to hit that car head on. Dennis Weaver. Okay, Jack, I'm hat. <laughs> Why? Why is he doing this? Uh, then we heard from our friend Philip Howell. Philip and I talk a lot online, and he's super cool. He's one of my favorite people. He wrote, um, here's my TV horror movie marathon picks. It was tough keeping it under five, so I purposely kept the number of obvious classic movies to two. 
he put a movie on here that I'm going to have to talk about, by the way. So he mentioned The Night Stalker, my all-time favorite, High Desert Kill, High Desert Weirdness with Chuck Connors and Aliens, Visitors of the Night, more Aliens, but this time with um, Marcus, or maybe we went Marky Post and Stephen McCaddy, Gargoyles, rest in peace, Bernie Casey, yes, Cast a Deadly Spell, my favorite HBO movie ever, Fred Ward is incredible, and Julianne Moore, David Warner, and Clancy Brown are fantastic as well. So the, those are all really good titles. I have to admit, I haven't seen Cast a Deadly Spell yet, and I really hate that I haven't seen it because people have been recommending that movie to me for like two decades, and I still haven't seen it. Um, yeah, same video. here. It's on video. Yep. Um, Visitors of the Night is a movie I'm not familiar with at all, um, but that sounds really fun. But the movie he brought up that uh, I need to talk about, I need to get it out of my system, <laughs> is High Desert Kill. That's a USA original. It's on VHS if anybody has um, a VCR and wants to oh. check it out. It is the weirdest fucking movie I've ever seen. And if you ever want to see Mark Singer and Chuck Connors making out with the same girl at the same time and have your mind melt while you're watching it, this is the movie. I don't even know how to tell you what it is because it makes no sense. I don't understand it. I don't know why I need to watch it all the time, but I do. It's about like these three guys who go hike or hunting every year. And one of them dies in this weird electrical accident. And so they end up taking his like nephew or cousin, who's like this male model, um, on this like hunting trip. And they go out to the middle of nowhere. Anthony Gary and Mark Singer are the other two guys. And they end up camping near another hunter played by Chuck Connors. And then it becomes like a machismo standoff where like everybody has to, they like have like arm wrestling competitions and like these two girls show up and they have to like, who's going to get the girl and they get drunk and they're like slobbering all over these women. It's horrifying. And, um, and they, there's weird dancing in it and then, uh, Anthony Gary eats a raw liver. And so like what happens is something is overtaking them on this mountain and it makes, starts making them do weird things. And it's kind of like a slasher in a way. Um, and it's kind of not like a slasher at all. And it's kind of like a Cthulhu movie in a way. But it's kind of not like a Cthulhu movie at all. And it's really weird. And I love it. It will melt your brain so hard that it'll come out, your brain will come out your ears as a wet liquid. And you won't know what happened to you. Have either one of you seen this? No. no. Are we no. going to cover it at some That's, point? <laughs> that sounds fantastic. I'm in. Yeah, it's a weird movie. I feel like, yes, we need to cover it. We, we need to do USA Originals um, because they're so important. And we should probably get my friend Paul on to do them because he wrote the chapter in my book about the USA Originals. It's his kind of expertise. Um, oh, yes. But I, I... Okay, when I post this, if I remember, I'm going to post... There's a, somebody who uploaded a clip from a scene from the movie, and I'll put it with this link, with the, you know, the audio of this podcast on the, on the website, and I'll let you guys watch this three-minute scene, and you guys can figure out how you feel about the world afterwards. You won't be the same. You won't be the same! I don't even know what to tell you! You won't be the same. Okay, so <laughs> that movie, I can't tell you how weird it is. I love mm. it. Okay, so that was a really good choice. Um, I think we've heard Gargoyles here a couple times, so just briefly, because we did an episode on Gargoyles, I think Bernie Casey just passed away, and you know, he yes. was a huge influence on me as a kid because of Gargoyles, and he was sort of my introduction into monsters. So I just want to say that I think that's an amazing film. Um, it's timeless. I think I wrote a review of it on my blog where I kind of 
dissed it a little. It was one of the first reviews I wrote, and I went back and looked at it, and I'm ashamed that I wrote it, and I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote it. Um, it because it's a really wonderful film. Something, though, that's interesting, and I can't remember what Nate's thoughts were when we covered it, but I was listening to an old episode of The Hysteria Continues, and you had watched Gargoyles, and you weren't that impressed with it. And I can't remember if you liked it more when you watched it with us. Do you remember, Nate? I don't remember, but um, I, remembering it now, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. So maybe uh, I liked it better when I discussed it um, on on this podcast. Um, I, I feel like sometimes maybe I don't watch things in the right frame of mind. So, you know, well, maybe that was my problem with it yeah, when I first watched it. I think you thought it was kind of funny, but I can't remember exactly what you said about it, but you were sort of underwhelmed by it. Oh, I can't remember what it was, though. You did say there was something about it. It didn't work for you, but mm, I can't remember what it was. But then I was like trying to remember what you thought, and I thought I remembered you liking it more with us. Yes, um, I do. like. I mean, I like it, you know, now. Uh, I think that uh, doing this podcast has like, kind of broadened my horizons with, you know, like all the made-for-television movies. Then I'm... Um, uh, finding i'm enjoying them a lot more this time around oh good that's great uh dan your thoughts on gargoyles do you remember i i th- i um oh yeah i i really enjoy gargoyles i mean uh uh yeah bernie casey and jennifer salt and yeah. it's just uh it's uh, i i i i remember when we watched it for this podcast i hadn't watched it for a while and a wa- when i watched it again i thought Oh, this is this is a joy. I mean, it's 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 one of those that you watch, and it's like um, it's like listening to uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band or Led Zeppelin Four, you know, or or um, any one of another uh, any other uh, sort of uh, Born to Run or something like that. It's like it's it's like feels like as you're watching it, it feels seminal. Yeah, and and that that it, and and. It, it works. It doesn't like you, you, you don't sit there watching it going, Hmm, this, mm, this isn't living up to what I thought it would be. You, you watch it and you go, Oh yeah, this, this is what it's supposed to be. It's, yeah. it's very good. It's well designed. It's well put together. And we all know how, how quickly they did these movies and it's just so it's very nicely done. Yes. I think I would have, I would have loved to have seen a gargoyles too. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I yeah I I can I can't um I I cannot put down or say enough. What do we uh, match gargoyles with? Was it the uh, mud the, monster? Yeah, the world beyond. Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's a great double. Uh, uh, yeah, oh, I'm going to have to go through this. I want to make sure Nate can stay with us through the whole thing. So yes, yes, so please. We we worship at the altar of Bernie Casey. We love you. Yes. And we miss you. Yes. That was really a bummer. Um, so my next piece of feedback is from Ronan Farrell. I'm saying his name right. We did the Crowhaven Farm episode, and I referred to him a couple times. I kept saying Ron, and I felt really stupid. And then I emailed him before I put the episode up to let him know, and he was really sweet about it. So uh, <laughs> I love Ronan. He's such a sweet guy. He wrote, I love your plan a small screen marathon suggestion. I've listed a few below, but I'm afraid my picks are a little on the obvious side. However, I do really love all of these films. I'm very much drawn to the traditional supernatural aspect of Halloween, where all manner of dark forces of evil spirits are abroad. Being Irish, awareness of ancient pagan traditions, mm. cheerfully mixed with Christian ideas of the devil, witchcraft, and fears for the safety of one one's soul, was very much a part of our Sam Hain celebrations growing up. It was a spook. It was spooky and scary, and I loved it. 
With that in mind, the perfect Halloween TV terror marathon would go something like this. Don't go to sleep, fantastic supernatural shenanigans with plenty of effective scares, Crowhaven Farm, fresh from hearing it discussed on the podcast, I really need to see this disturbing witchcraft classic again, same school for girls, old Nick himself makes a Roy Thinnish shaped appearance, suave as you like, selling selling hearts (laughs) a flutter, great film, the world beyond, I just love this somber downbeat atmosphere in this, the island setting, the rain, and the constant screeching of the creature are really effective at building an oppressive mood, the Norless tapes, Roy Thinnis again, this time battling with a demon instead of playing one. Another grim and gripping occult gem. I was tempted to mention Bay Cove, but I think I'll let that one lie for the time being. He's a big fan of that one. Oh, it's a bonus <laughs> treat for myself, and not a strictly a television film. I think, but I think we're shown in the States as such. With those awful alternate credits, I'd like to include one of my favorite episodes of Brian Clemens' thriller, A Place to Die. From the first series. Ooh. It's one of the few stories tinged with the supernatural. And I love it. A fantastic, sinister tale of rural witchcraft. This, These days, I think it could, I could, I'm sure it could confidently be filled, filed under folk horror. So, mm. he gave us a lot here. We've talked about yeah. a lot of these. Um, and I did say we we're going to talk about Thriller. I'm just worried we're not going to have enough time. But that is something I'm getting more and more inspired to discuss. And I actually have two films I would like to yeah. discuss. But I don't think I've yeah. seen A Place to Die. Do either one of you remember that? No. No. Oh, all right. It sounds he really made it sound good because I like the real witchcraft angle. It makes me think of The Last Bride of Salem with Lois Middleton. I'm not sure you guys have seen that, but it was a shot on video afternoon play break from the 70s. Mm-hmm. That's real good with Bradford Dillman. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that might make a good double on its own. I might try that out myself. So he picked movies we've actually kind of talked about a lot, which is The World Beyond we just mentioned, which is I highly oh. recommend, not strictly a TV movie, really. But definitely a scary film and something worth seeing. Um, Saints Go for Girls. Van Dusen. Yeah, the oh, Van Dusen. We love the Van Dusen. <laughs> Don't go to sleep. These are all classics and wonderful picks. Um, mm. Yay. Thank you so much, Ronan. I really appreciate this thank uh, you. feedback. And um, now I've got Thriller on the Brain. I'm so excited. Uh, oh. uh, Robert Walker, who's a friend of ours from the We Met Through the Strange and Deadly Show, which is now the Lost in the Omniverse podcast, where they talk about... Um, superhero movies and the shared universes. Uh, we met Rob through uh, Chris and Tom, and he's a wonderful guy, and he sent some feedback. He wrote, My TV movie diet isn't as wide as yours, but I probably programmed Mr. Boogity, yay, The Night Stalker, I've Been Waiting for You, which is a later TV movie, right, with Sarah Chalk, I think, and sometimes they come back, and The Midnight Hour. So there's a couple of here on here I haven't seen, and that's I've Been Waiting for You. Is that the one I'm thinking of with Sarah Chalk? Yeah, I believe so. It's like the um, it, it sort of came in the wave of like the scream and uh, I know what you did last summer. It was sort of a made-for-TV version of those films. I would, if I'm remembering right, uh, it's been a long time. Yeah, I think I'm thinking of a different film, but maybe I'm not. But I'm pretty sure Sarah Chalk's okay. in it. Okay. I think she is. Have you seen it? I've seen it, but it's been a really long time ago. I remember the being disappointed because um, you know it's. Again, like I was probably expecting something like Scream when I right, watched it, right. and it's very much a watered—not not just a toned-down sure. version. Sure, I think I have it actually, and I think I might have it on DVD, and I just haven't sat down to watch it yet, and I need to. Um, the other one you mentioned that I haven't seen is Sometimes They Come Back. I think that's with Tim Matheson, right? Is that right? Oh, I haven't seen that yeah. one in so long. I don't remember who's in it. Robert Rustler. Um, I feel like it's like about a bunch of guys who pick on somebody and they get killed and then they come back yeah that's uh that's a uh, is king. that uh stephen king yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's like yeah. he wrote about it in the book i think 
Um, but I don't, I, I'm not that familiar with Stephen King. I delegated all of the Stephen King movies and miniseries to other people because my Stephen King knowledge is really basic. And I wanted to really do him justice. So I had other people write about it. And this was one that I, I haven't seen a lot of his TV adaptations, I have to admit. So kind of flew under the radar for me. But it does have Tim Matheson in it. I'm 99% positive. And Robert yes. Wessler, which is... You're right. You're the, right. It is. Yeah. That's Tim a Matheson. double. That's two men. I can't say no to, guys. Um, <laughs> so, and it was it was a short story from Night Shift, uh, yeah, Stephen King's think, first collection, late 70s, which is, I think, my favorite uh, collection of his short stories. I think Robert Walker's right uh, to choose it because I think it's got a pretty good cult following. And it's probably yeah. something I should check out, um, and I need to. I need to see a lot more of the Stephen King adaptations, to be honest. But, um, And then our final piece of feedback is from someone named Brian Mead. I think this is the first time he's written us. So, hey, Brian. Um, Brian! He, al- he also picked Cast a Deadly Spell. I'm sorry, Cast a Deadly Spell. The backdrop <laughs> to the story uh, that in parallel... Uni- oh, am I reading this right? Sorry, let me start again. The backdrop to the story that in a parallel universe LA, everyone practices magic except... For the central private investigator character results in a unique blend of two genres, the hard-boiled crime drama and supernatural fantasy. The Woman in Black, yes, genuinely yeah. thrilling British TV movie far superior to the more recent theatrical version. This is similar to the early TV adaptation of P.D. James' horror stories, and the ending is suitably uncompromising and unsettling. Um, Haunts of the Very Rich, again. I love the cast of characters, the eerie, otherworldly tone and setting, from the beginning, the viewer knows that everything is not what it seems. Glossy 70s soap opera histrionics seem ominous, existentialist theatrics, and with Mike Brady as a priest. Here's mm. an interesting choice. Um, Carrie, the remake from 2002. Angela Bettis is terrific oh, wow. in this film, and this has been unfairly compared to the Brian De Palma screen version, but this is a very different adaptation, and I would say more believable in its characterizations. Also, TV films always seem to be judged to higher standards than theatrical films the very, for various reasons, but they're ultimately different creative formats. Um, and then something I've never heard of called The Outcast, which I believe is an Irish TV movie. I Ooh. saw this film just once when it first was shown on Irish TV in 1982, but it was unforgettable. A dark fable of fatal attraction, supernatural enchantment, and damnation set in 19th century Ireland. Though made for television, this film helped to rejuvenate the Irish film industry overall, showing that TV films are as culturally significant as any other format. And this, and this film is sadly all but unavailable currently. My cheeky reserve choice is A Cold Night's Death, Sub-Zero Suspense <laughs> Treat. Thanks again. Thank you, Brian. Yay. So, Nate, you've seen the Carrie um, Angela Bettis version, right? Yes. What did you think of it? Um, I, I liked it. I mean, it it's it's all right. It's it's not to me like a very particularly memorable film, except for I thought Angela Bettis was excellent in uh, that role. I thought she did a great job in that movie. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I love all the Carrie movies. I mean, I love uh, the original. I love the 2002 remake. I love the more recent remake oh. that came out just a few years ago. I loved it too, and I love the Rage Carrie too. Uh, I love Carrie to the Rage. I so love. That's an excellent film. Um, yeah. To me, you're you're kind of watching the the mean people. I mean, I, I wouldn't say they deserve to die, but in the fictional world, sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. In the world of fiction, they deserve to die. In real life, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, Dan, have you seen the Carrie 2002 uh, TV version? No, the only one I've seen is Brian De Palma's. I, um, I, I've read the book. I've seen Brian De Palma's. The, um, the story kind of um, depresses me to the yeah. point where I, I – it's, it's not one where I can return to it. I have to sort of gird my loins – if I'm if I'm going back to the the Brian De Palma version because this is during that time of Brian De Palma everything he was doing I loved mm-hmm. but Carrie is like this is around obsession and sisters and uh, the Fury and the Fury is one of my favorites you know and all these others Blowout which is probably like top twenty favorite film of all time of mine yeah. you know but but Carrie is just the story is is just. Um, it's it's one of those that's a little too sad and not depressing. Sad. It is very for sad. Me. It's a sad. And film. I I can do depressing like I can watch Martyrs every other week. No, I can't do that. <laughs> but um, but but like like sad, I can't do. So I haven't seen all the others. Purely, that's a personal thing. It's it's sure. not like I. I'm waving a fist saying, stop doing this. It's just, I, it's just... I have the 2002 version. A friend of mine actually really liked it. Um, his name's Shane, and he taped it off TV for me and gave me a copy of it. And I just couldn't bring myself to watch it, but I think I should. I'll be completely honest. You know I've never seen May. I don't know that much of Angela Bettis' work. I saw the Toolbox Murders remake, which she was really good in, but I don't know her as an actress too much. And I feel bad about that because I hear so many good things about her. And I think I could watch the Carrie 2002 movie and enjoy it. And I should just do it because she's probably a really good actress and I should just see what they did with it. You know what I mean? But I I haven't seen it yet. But a movie I think we may have all seen and that we should mention because it's probably one of the best movies ever made is um, The Woman in Black from 1989. Have you guys both seen that? Yes. Dan? I've I've seen seen The Lady in White. I haven't seen The Woman in Black. Oh, you haven't seen The Woman in Black? Oh, so I, good it's so good where's that who's who made that why british, why don't it's i it's a british it, film i don't know who made it but it's um and there's a lot of things to say about this movie and it's probably one of the few times that i've gone on imdb and used the user reviews to help me piece together things about the film that now make a lot of sense to me now, i haven't read the book so that might be part of it but there's some really interesting subtext in that film um, that I might not have noticed if I hadn't read some of those reviews and picked. So don't read any reviews, Dan. Uh, I won't. No, I don't. But uh, it's I mean, got like a huge like jump scare yes. in that movie. I, I think you. I think you know what I'm talking yes. about, Amanda. Yes. But there is a scene in it. Like I mean, I I, I literally jumped when it <laughs> it happens. I screamed. I screamed out loud. <laughs> it's so scary, and it's the whole film like. It's got a jump scare and it's got some genuinely scary moments, but it's it's got a really oppressive atmosphere from the beginning to the end. Okay. And so once you enter the world of that film, it it just grabs you. It's in that way maybe it's like let's scare Jessica to death. Like there's something about it that instantaneously grabs you and kind of freaks you out even though not necessarily anything is happening. Okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's quietly yeah. unsettling. I mean that's how I would describe it. Um and so Nate, you you're a big fan of the film, I'm assuming? Oh yes, lots of atmosphere, um, and I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, because when I've talked about the movie before, I always describe it as even when there's nothing necessarily scary on screen, there's this feeling of like dread yes. throughout the whole film. You kind of have this feeling like 
it's just I don't know, like something's about to happen, or you know, uh, something like that. So it's it's really, I mean, it's 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 really one of the better you know made for TV movies out there. So very highly recommended. Yeah, I do. I recommend it too. I actually really liked the remake, but it's completely different and not nearly as effective. But I thought it was. Wait a minute is is this the um, is this the Nigel Neal written? It might be British British thing. It might be. Oh, because I know of this, but I have not watched it. I'm a huge Ni- Nigel Neal fan. I was You're one not of that my big of a fan. If you haven't seen it, no, I'm I'm a Doctor Who fan. So and and Doctor Who uh, uh, came out of Quatermass, mm-hmm. which Nigel Neal created, um, and and one of my um, sort of alternate um, picks was the Stone Tape. Oh yeah, you know I haven't seen that yet. The stone tape is fantastic, yeah. and and I was I was I was going to say that, but it's technically it's shot on video, and I wanted to keep it film. Hmm. Um, but uh, but no, I didn't realize that's Nigel Neal. Yep, I I know of Woman and Women in Black, Woman the, Woman in Black, late, Woman in Black. Sorry, uh, but um, I have not watched it. Oh, Nigel Neal, he's one of, he's one of the best. His his stuff is he he's always. Um, writing like beautifully themed stories that just like that are just crazy and like stone tape and he had a series called i think beasts mm, yeah somebody i know is uh just yeah, i've never I, actually I, seen beasts to be honest uh, but Beast. i have a, a fr- online friend of mine just started watching it and um yes. really into it and yeah I, be- I need to check it out yeah it's um like I said, don't read any of the IMDb reviews until I won't, until you see it. But there's some really interesting subtext in there that's really fascinating to me. Um, and yeah, that's on the. There's so many of these movies I want to cover. Uh, that's <laughs> one I think we would have. That might be a good Halloween one for next year, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're at our number ones. So oh Dan, God. what would you? What's your oh. third pick for your Halloween? Oh movie? my gosh, why me? Well, let me just say, let, can I just throw out the titles I was going to make for my number Quickly. ones? First is a Stone Tape. Second is Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Oh yeah, and of of course it's 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 it. They fight monsters, and then um oh crap, I forget what my next one was. I forget about it. Uh, let's go right to my. Uh, I I had one more, which I suddenly That's forgot. Okay. Oh, and I actually think might be a movie we'll cover, so I don't want to say it. Okay. So um, so now we are back in January twenty ninth. 1972, uh, ABC, Universal Television. Um, what do we got? Directed by Jack Smite, who did, I think, Airport Wait, well, 75. Sorry, did you say the title? I'm sorry. No, I haven't yet. Okay, thank you. Because I, I was listening and I'm like, oh shit. Okay. No, uh, you'll, you'll figure it out in a moment. Okay. Directed by Jack Smite, who did Airport 75, I believe. Teleplay Merwin Gerard. Merwin's a fun name for a teleplay writer. From a short story by... This will give it away. Ray Bradbury, starring Ed Nelson, Joseph Cotton, Walter Pigeon, Lorraine Stevens, and Olivia de Havilland. Oh, perfect! It's the screaming woman. Woo! Woot! I'm. I let, let me. Uh, I'll just read the Merrill, and then I'll go away. A contemporary gothic horror story that has a dowager an ex-mental patient, discovering a woman buried alive and screaming for help on the grounds of her sprawling estate, but her family feels that her mind is snapped and refuses to believe the bizarre story, and it's agreed to get hold of her money if she is declared incompetent. 
it is I think Drew Barrymore was in a an adaptation of this in the 80s really? when they did Ray Bradbury Theater I believe I'd have to look that up but I know she was in the episode but this is based on a it's it's literally it's a woman she's she's wandering her vast estate and she gets off she gets off a horse and she's just standing there kind of feeding the horse or doing something to the horse and then all of a sudden she hears like help me help me and she's like what the hell and she's like someone's screaming and and she goes back and says someone's screaming underground and they're like okay ma go to sleep but and it's like this suspense story where it, it it's beautifully done i mean it's like i first watched this like 5 or 6 years ago it's like if if you want i mean and the ending of it is crazy and it's it's so good it's so good so this this would be you you start off with um you start off with um, Meredith Baxter's The Cat, which is kind of, uh, it, it has scary moments, but is more fun. Then you do um, you do uh, David Jansen in The Werewolf, which is, is a little sharper writing-wise. I th- well, Maybe not uh, fully, but uh, like the, the characters are more sort of defined and interesting. Um, and then you end up, with Screaming Woman, which is full on to me, it's full on like 73, 74 minutes of like suspense and craziness. And uh, like the last 10 minutes are just like, whoa. So, yeah, that's that's my number one. Yeah, that's a really fun movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it. But with the way you were reading Meryl's little synopsis there, I've already paired it with another film. Um, <laughs> so we're going to cover that at some point and we're going to cover it with The yeah. Old Man Who Cried Wolf. And we're going to oh, talk about... Yeah, oh, my gosh. Yep, yep, yep. I was yeah, looking at that one. That's a great yeah. film. We're gonna. It's one of my favorites. We're going to talk about ageism and the TV movie system. And oh, we're gonna perfect. do these perfect. two films. So I'm really glad you brought that up. I remember really liking it. I'm a huge Ed Nelson fan. So yeah. you just put Ed Nelson on the screen. By the way, he's in a little game as well. You just put him on the screen, and I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm, I just, I'll sit there and I'll watch whatever he does for as long as he needs to do it. Yes, I yes. think he's wonderful. And mm. and it's interesting because it's got Walter Pidgeon, Joseph Cotton, and um, Libby D. Havilland. And I think I talked about this movie recently on Film and Water podcast. Uh, oh, yeah. Because I was talking about how um, when they did the newspaper like press for it, a lot of it was like these sort of, they didn't say has been, but they really presented these older actors as like, oh, they have to yes. be on TV now. Yeah. It was really belittling. But they did really good films, these actors. And um, Olivia de Havilland said that she enjoyed playing that part because it was different than what she had normally played before. And um, and it was a change of pace for her. And she didn't want to stay in TV. That wasn't like something sure, her goal. Sure. Yeah. But she didn't mind doing it. And actually, another good movie to pair with this, eh, now that I've said it, but would be Do Not Fold, Spindle, or Mutilate. Oh, I'd love to see that. You mentioned film. that one. Oh, my yeah. gosh. And your, can I just say your Film and Water podcast episode was a hoot. I really enjoyed that Thank episode. You. I, yeah, I Rob's Rob's wonderful. Yeah, he's and, really fun. And, I had a great time. Yeah, <laughs> he's super he's cool. So yeah, I, whatever you get Rob into, like whether it's Rob and I talking about Bob Dylan songs or talking about Bolero or Ants or Police Squad for six episodes, Rob gets into it hardcore yeah and it's so much fun it's so much fun yeah Yeah, so but we Um, did talk we started to talk about that ageism thing and that's another there's all these themes i want to like write and talk about and that's one that's been on my mind so that's that's a good film because that's that olivia de Havilland, you know is like one of the big biggest names i think tv saw at that point um and um nate have you seen the screaming woman i haven't seen that one 
Well, get prepared because we're going to watch it. I'm very prepared. <laughs> I, I, th- I, th- I think I think you'll like it, Nate. It's, it's really, it, like I said, it's based off a, a wonderful Ray Bradbury story. And it's really like, it's surprisingly, I don't know that it's surprisingly is the word to use. But it's like the first time I watched it, I was like, wow, this is like the suspense of it is really high throughout it's a so good I, it's a good pick too because nobody else has picked it and so it's it's really nice oh thank goodness it. yeah it's really fun Whew. that's a good good uh, sort of different pick um mm-hmm. nate what is your last pick uh before i get to it my honorable mentions are uh stephen king's it because oh. i loved that movie as nice. a kid it used yeah. to terrify yeah. me um and uh terror tract with oh. john ritter yay just oh, john ritter uh, yeah. right oh there. my gosh Yes, I love that movie so much, it's and so I think good. it's a great. All the stories are great. The, the Granny Killer the granny, is so exactly scary. What I was gonna say. That is so scary, and I like the one with the monkey with Brian Cranston, right? That's a good one too. Yes, yeah, definitely. That's, that's a really fun so yeah. That's a great fun movie. Even the ending with John Ritter, make me an offer. It's like it's so much fun, and that's not really a spoiler because it's just it's kind of just a fun silly movie, but it's great. Yes. Um. Well, my number one, I'm going to have to go with, um, and this was actually made for Showtime. Um, so uh, it, it wasn't made for, like, network TV, I guess I should say, but it's Body Bags. Oh, by, so good. Uh, oh, yes. I wow. love all the stories in this movie. Um, my Keith. least favorite, yeah, my least favorite one is probably the eye, the eye yeah. where the eye transplant. The, the it's it's not bad. Isn't that, the one huh? Toby Hooper? Isn't that the one Toby Hooper made? I don't remember. I know it's got Mark Hamill in it yeah. and Twiggy. Uh-huh. Um, it, it, it's not bad at all, but to me, it's just not quite as good as the other two. Uh, the one with Stacy Keach, where he's uh, <laughs> bald and he wants to get this, um, you know, this procedure to get hair, and the ending to it really makes my skin crawl. I'm not going to go into it, but it's really odd and and it's it's so off the wall, but I love it. Um, and my favorite one is the one that's most like a slasher movie, of course. It's yeah. the, the gas station. And um, it, the, the general plot line for it is, you know, this um, college student is working at this secluded gas station overnight. And there's a um, ritualistic killer on the loose. And um, there's an excellent scene where she goes into the bathroom and there's a drawing on the the wall, and it's of this like satanic, demonic uh, creature holding severed heads, and the markers uh, that were used to do the drawing are still sitting right there. Oh. So you know the killer's basically right there around her. It's very creepy, um, and it's it's just a lot of fun. It's even got like a great like final girl versus killer battle. It's just it's great. Is is David Naughton it. in that? Yes, he's in that okay. story. Yeah, okay. I like Body Bags a lot. My favorite is the Stacey Keach story because it's hilarious. And it's <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, it's wild. And it, he's so good in it. He's so good in it. I feel like Debbie Harry's in it. She's like the nurse. Is that right? I'm pretty sure she's in it, but I can't remember what role she plays in it. I think she's, uh, I think she's the nurse. Like the sexy, weird nurse that, like, when he goes to visit the hair transplant guy... Um, but I don't remember, but I remember being hilarious and I really loved it. And I did like the, the gas station one too. I do think I thought the eye was the lesser of the three, but I would like to watch it again and kind of reassess that story. Cause I don't remember it well enough to have an opinion on it. I just know I've seen it. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's just a lot of fun for me, I guess. 
Well, I so I wrote down Terror Track, Dead of Night, and Body Bags, and we're going to figure out two of those, and we'll do an anthology night as well. Because mm-hmm. I forgot about Terror Track, and that's so good. Yeah, it is. Very, very good. Yeah, and that might be a good double with Dead of Night. But Body Bags might be good, too, so I'll have to think about it. But um, that's a really good pick. That's also one that nobody has picked yet. Um, that's I'm not going to be too spoilery here, but I picked one that has been mentioned a couple times. But um, um, that's a really good choice. I remember when that originally aired, I taped it off of, uh, did you say Showtime? Yes, I did too. <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited about it, and uh, and I really enjoyed it. And I'm still my, I think my, I still have my copy of it somewhere. It's probably got Halloween Six on it, and all the, you know, all that shit I used to tape off cable, because um, I couldn't afford to buy the videos. Um, Dan, have you seen Body Bags? I have. Um, I saw it in college when it came out at the um, one of the ritzier dorm rooms where they had mm-hmm. Showtime. And I, I remember, I haven't seen it since then, but I remember we had a freaking great time. And every time I see that um, that uh, poster, what or, or the the cover with like the the yeah that the the figure tearing through the body bag, yeah. I, I like think it, I think someone put this out on did Shop Factory or, or someone put this out on? I don't know. They might have. Oh, it's Scream Scream Factory put it on Blu-ray. Yeah, I keep thinking I need to do that. I need to watch this again because I I remember really enjoying it and and having a good time watching it. But um, it it has been since 1993. Uh, it was 93. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a while. But yeah, I, yeah, I I did enjoy it. And so John yeah, Carpenter good, is good the show. host, right? Yeah, he's the um, a, a, he's the, uh, I forget what he is. The, is he the morgue attendant? Or, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, he's, yeah, he's working in the morgue. Because yeah. each story is like a body, I guess, from oh, the story, and he's given the story. And I and I remember because I'd never seen John Carpenter before, and when I saw him in this, I was like, oh, he's in good makeup. But then when I actually saw him, I thought. <laughs> Oh, he kind of looks like that. He does a little, yeah, he does a, <laughs> a little. bit, but I love John Carpenter, though. Of course, no, no, he's wonderful. No, of course. <laughs> um, so, well, then I'm I'm totally didn't go unique here. I don't. I have one that's been brought up uh, a bunch of times. Um, I went with the Norless tapes. And uh, of course, yeah. I went with the Norless tapes because we covered it on the show, and then I covered it later on the Kolchak tapes uh, podcast with Mike White and his uh, podcasting partner, Chris. And so I, I've watched it a few times, like just in the last year. Plus I wrote about it for my book. And um, the more I watch it, the better it gets. And that's saying something because I really loved it the first time I saw it. So it keeps growing in my heart. And not just because I have a huge crush on Roy Thinnis, who came up a bunch of times tonight, which is really wonderful. Um, but it's so creepy and well done. And I love the... Uh, like the artwork, you know, and like um, the monsters, and I love Angie Dickinson in it, and I think it's got a real nice sense of dread. It's creepy. It's genuinely creepy. Um, I like the way it unfolds. I think it's crisp, and it's breezy in a way, even though it's really scary because it just feels like it goes from point A to point B just very directly. Um, And I just, I love it. And the more I watch it, the more I get out of it. And I will tell you that when I did it for the Kolchak tapes, when I talked about it, Chris was not a fan of it, I don't think. And so I felt like I kind of ended up defending the film a little. And when I did that, I think I I got to talk about a lot of things uh, that I loved about it. And it made me love it a little more. And it just keeps growing and growing in my esteem. And um, it did not end up in my top three when we did our first episode. 
Um, but I feel like it's getting very close to like that level of love for me and that level of another thing is rewatchability. Um, cause I could watch it over and over again. Uh, a couple of movies off the top of my head that I would have mentioned and I thought about was Scream Pretty Peggy with Ted Bessel and Betty Davis. I'm a huge fan of that movie. Oh, um, yeah. I really like it. I think I wrote a review of it for another website and I gave it kind of a bad review and I don't know why I did that. I don't know what I was doing like 10 years ago, but, um, <laughs> it's so good. Speaking of the artwork is what makes me think of it because a lot of it is about the set pieces, like whoever did the art direction in that film. And I don't mean the film set pieces. I mean like the way they decorated the set are, is so beautiful and the, and the sculptures are amazing. And, um, and every piece of art is like, freaking creepy so like even when they're just standing in a room and there's art in there you could look at the art it's not even it's just incidental art and it's amazing to look at and um i think that that's a really cool cool film and by the way now that i've talked about it i've totally forgot what my other alternate was going to be oh no yes i did um i'm trying Ooh, to think uh, now hmm, uh oh, gosh it doesn't uh hmm but Scream Pretty Peggy oh, uh, was one of the films I thought about putting on the list. And I did have This House Possessed on there originally, but I thought, you know, I've already talked about that. We're going to do a whole episode on it eventually. So um, I'll just save my words for that later. Uh, but yeah, so those are all of our choices. And I hope yeah, that if you're listening, you heard some titles you hadn't thought of before, or you're just inspired to revisit some of these films. Um, there's a lot of really good picks. I want to thank everybody for dropping us a line. We got an amazing yeah. amount of feedback. Thank you, everyone. That's yeah. astounding. It was yeah. really cool. Thank you so much. Um, I, I, d- I didn't write down our contact information again, but I'm pretty sure we're at tvmayhempodcast at gmail.com. Um, or you can find us on Facebook. Just look up the Made for TV Mayhem show. Or I think it's the TV Mayhem podcast on Twitter. Um, I'm at Made for TV Mayhem. Uh, Dan, you're at... Oh, I, I'm at I'm at a bunch of places. E Super Train One is a place to go because I believe that although it's not up now, it'll go up before this goes up. Amanda and I on my podcast, Dan's Driving Double Feature, we spent a long time talking about Iced and Moonstalker, two late '80s slasher films. Nate, what do you think of Iced and Moonstalker? Oh, I think they're both fantastic. <laughs> and Ost has one of the best endings of all time. Of all time, yes, it does. So, so yeah, Amanda and I, it's it's a year ago we talked about Prom Night and He Knows You're Alone, and that was over two, two and a half hours. This is actually slightly longer than that. Oh, because we talked about Mind Killer yes. for about a half hour. So, so that's going up there. So E-Super Train 1, eventually Super Train blogspot.com you can find me i wrote a book that's fun about action movies and it's it's great and hang out and yeah just check it out it's good um here's something else i forgot to do i forgot to pick our double feature for next month oh boy so i'm pretty sure i know what the one film is going to be and i thought i knew what i was going to put it up against but i thought that we might have a better second film so i'm just going to announce the one film because it's November, it's sort of in between like the scary holiday and the Christmas holiday. So I just wanted to do something kind of fun and um, breezy and something I thought we could have a real good time with. So I picked the late 80s, I believe it's ABC telefilm, um, Lady Killers, which is about with, with, with Mary Lou Henner and uh-huh. Thomas Calabro. And it's about somebody killing male strippers. Yes. 
club in Los Angeles, Lady oh Killers. Oh, gosh. And um, it's insanity at its very best. And it's Fun. a movie. I've seen this movie like a thousand times. I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, uh, Jack said, uh, Jack uh, DVD 1978 um, said that we mentioned another film that we were going to double it with. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to do that. But I think that there might be a better second film. Oh. I just want to see how accessible it is. Because if, okay. if it's harder for me to get a hold of, then I'm not going to worry about it. But um, so it's definitely going to be Lady Killers. When I figure out what the second film is going to be, I'll announce nice. it. And you can send in your feedback. Um, and that's it. So everybody have a great night. Good night. Yay. Good night, everybody. Happy Halloween. Uh